Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your post-game Buckeye Talk. Ohio State loses the game to Michigan in the 118th version. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. We have a survey from our tech subscribers. We have a lot to talk about. I think we're going to try to keep the main thing the main thing in this pod, which is this loss. How it happened. Mostly how it happened. And we have weeks and months and a year to talk about the fallout and all those other things, all of which are very, very important. We have a bunch of survey questions we want to get to. Um, Ohio State has a slim possibility of making the playoffs still. We're not going to delve into that a lot right now. USC is still playing. But with the Clemson loss and everything else that has happened, um, it's not impossible, but it's not what anyone's thinking about right now. So um, Nathan Baird, I will say that I did a survey and I asked our tech subscribers to rate on a scale of one to 10, four different things. One is like low, not that bad, not that mad kind of stuff. 10 is high, 10 is high, right? So I asked basically, how surprised are you? How mad are you? How bad of a day is this as a sports fan? How hot is Ryan Day's seat? And how much did this change your view of Jim Knowles as a defensive coordinator? Those are the four things I asked. Of those four things, Nathan, what do you think has the highest? Like the right, the hottest, angriest, most upset? Is it, I'm personally mad, I'm personally surprised, I think Ryan Day's seat should be kind of hot, or Jim Knowles, I, I changed my mind on him, he's not as good as I thought. It's a great question because it could depend in large part on when someone was answering it, because just the shock of this immediately makes me think that that could be number one, not just that, not that Michigan won, but that Michigan just came in and so emphatically um, reinforced that it's the dominant team in the big 10 right now. So you think that the surprise, you think the just surprise the is what it is? And surprise, yeah. yeah. Okay. Steven, what do you think got the highest? Ryan Day. Um, Michigan's the number three team in the country, so they're good. I, I think it's Ryan Day. So it is mad. It is like, this is one of my worst days as a sports fan. This is how mad I am. Got not, is the highest. I get it. Yeah. 7.42. Surprise is second, 6.74. Ryan Day hot is third, 6.57. Jim Knowles changing your opinion on him. Maybe not as good as you thought. 
is fourth, 5.55. So we will have a Ryan Day discussion in a bit, but I do think, Nathan, the idea of how surprised are you? So there's both the loss and and how it happened. Where are you on the surprise scale of, of what happened on Saturday? No, I'm 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 pretty surprised, but again, only to the extent of, of the of the extent of it. I mean, the fact if, if you had told me, okay, Michigan wins, I, I think we all thought that was plausible uh, for any number of reasons. Even though we all picked Ohio State to win, some of us more comfortably than others, but all in a pretty comfortable range. I think the idea that Michigan could come in and win w- is not baffling. The fact that Michigan just uh, just smeared them all over the field in the second half. Um, only uh, that Ohio State can only score three points and a half is a little bit mind-boggling uh, at this stage of a season. Um, the fact that Michigan could uh, kind of so uh, break off just so many huge plays um, after this defense had had come so far over the course of a season, or s- seemingly had come so far over the course of a season, uh, to me, I, I'm still just stuck on that a little bit that it was that it was this lopsided. Stephen, where where how would you describe your surprise? I'm shocked at how they lost more than the fact that they lost. I guess because Michigan's a very good football team. I am shocked that Michigan beat Ohio State the way Ohio State beats teams, and it didn't feel like Ohio State's, from a scheme play-calling standpoint, came to fight. This is supposed to be one of the best offenses in the country, and as Nathan just said, it scored three points. It had never felt aggressive. It never felt dangerous. When I kind of considered how my workflow might go tonight, the last thing I was thinking about was that with like seven minutes left in this game, I would just be polishing a version of a game story about how Michigan kicked Ohio State's butt. And that's what I was doing tonight. Well, I'm looking at it right now, right? So Ohio State's down 31-23 with 7.22 left in the game. And that's when Donovan Edwards breaks off the the run, the first big run to put it away, right? At that point, it's like, all right, Ohio State settles for the field goal in the red zone. They cut an 11-point lead to eight. It's a one-score game. They have to get a stop on the very first play pop through a hole and now it's over. So seven and a half minutes left and that's it that that's going to do that. Um, I I do want to, as, as we think about the two things here, I want to ask, I want to talk about two things. First is this Ohio state's players, Ohio state's players, right? The the guys they had on the field on both sides of the ball, Steven are, were they good enough to win this game today? When you think about Ohio state's talent level compared to Michigan's talent level. And I think again, the thing that is, pretty shocking about this is that Ohio Michigan didn't have its best player did this. This is a little bit like mm-hmm. last year, Ohio state lost to Oregon when Oregon didn't have its best player, Kevon Thibodeau. It's like, Oh, they don't yeah. have their best player. What's going to happen. It's like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. And today Michigan didn't have its best player. I did think by the end of the week, I had really come around on like, man, if they don't have either guy, they're done because Edwards had been hurt. Edwards had planned the cast mm-hmm. on his hands. And, and if they didn't have either of them, who knows what would have happened, but Donovan Edwards is a good player. And it turns out, he took most of Blake Corum's load. And then in the end, right, he's the guy who broke off the two big runs. But still, Stephen, when we think about talent versus talent, is this a talented enough Ohio State team to beat Michigan on Saturday? I thought the only place this Ohio State team wasn't up to par was in the one spot that it really shouldn't have mattered because Michigan's not going to attack you there. And that was that corner which we knew, whether it was because guys hadn't been healthy so they weren't getting reps 
or just being thrown into positions earlier than they should have been. We had been saying for weeks, these corners aren't very good, but it's not going to matter because it's only like two teams in the country who can attack them. Literally, not not even good enough to attack, will actually try to attack them, and none of them are in the Big Ten, so don't worry about it. And then Michigan told us not so fast. We're going to attack them time and time again. As a matter of fact, we're going to attack them so much that we're going to have Michigan, Ohio sit out there in dime formations with three down defensive linemen, and we're going to attack them in man coverage. So, like, I obviously that's what happened, right? And and this was kind of like the thing again until the running game really became an issue for Ohio State. Nathan, cornerback play was the thing we spent a lot of time on. And I think what's the Achilles heel of this team? It's it's the defensive backs. It came home to roost a little bit. And I was sort of saying after the game, I'm not so sure that it wouldn't have been better for Ohio State for Michigan to be fully healthy and try to run the ball and have that be the thing that they kind of, because, and you could see Donovan Edwards didn't play last week. Last week, I think they were just like teaching him to carry the ball in his left hand. Like he has a club in his right hand. You have to, all of a sudden, your whole life, you're right-handed. You're carrying the ball in your right arm. Now he has to carry the ball in his left arm. I thought you could see him be uncomfortable with that at times. And it's almost like, all right, I'm getting the handoff. I'm putting it in my left arm. Now I'm going to try to accelerate. And it took him a little bit to get into the game. They did play some of the younger guys a little bit early on. And then once he got it rolling, they really started running the ball well in the second half. But early, Nathan, like they had to throw because Corum tried. Blake Corum had two carries and that was it. And they had to throw. And it was almost like, all right, well, now you're forced into doing the thing that you're not as good at. But it's also the thing Ohio State's not as good at defending. And I, the, given the way the play, the game played out, Nathan, I'm not so sure you wanted to take a chance with like Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers trying to shut down Blake Corum because of everything that went wrong in the pass defense. I mean, give Michigan some credit, I think, for uh... – for game planning to that, for knowing what Ohio State's weakness was and, and trying to take advantage of it. I mean, it's something that we had talked about all season long, really, since what we saw from this team earlier. I remember talking, going into the Wisconsin game, like how long ago, two months ago, more than two months ago, going into that Wisconsin game thinking, oh, maybe Graham Mertz, like maybe he's got a little something going on. Maybe he can attack Ohio State's corners. And as it turned out, Ohio State had uh, Jair Brown and J.K. Johnson, I think, starting at corner that night. So not even their starting corners and Wisconsin did nothing. Um, and we, it seemed like a thing that was, was hanging out there, but would any team take advantage? And t- tonight was the best example we've seen I, right after the game, a guy, uh, uh, Lance Riesland, who does some good, uh, film breakdown stuff for us. Like he t- sent me a DM like right away. And he was like, this is easy. Like the, the man coverage just killed him because in those passing situations, and, and the one that you've talked about, and I'm sure we're going to talk about more where they brought the zero blitz um, early in the game that led to the first explosive. But there were other examples like you're just leaving yourself no line of defense and last line of defense, I should say. And when you trust your corners, I think you can do that. And I think Ohio State maybe trusted its corners too much. For, can so I just I, say, I think that's hilarious that he's saying that man coverage killed Ohio State, which, I mean, four years ago, the last time this game was played, Ryan Day was picking Michigan apart because they wouldn't come out of man coverage. So I do think there's a difference, though, right? I felt like when Ohio State beat Michigan that way, they were running crossers. They were just running guys across the field, and they were like, our guys are faster than your guys, and so you're going to line up and play man. We're going to get guys in crossing routes, and you're not going to be able to keep up with them. And Terry McLaurin and Johnny Dixon and everybody else burned them that way. This there, there were like blown coverages here, right? So, I mean, if you think about – let's think about, I think, five big pass plays in this game that really mattered. And – 
maybe not coincidentally, it's it's five different Ohio State guys that got burned in those situations, right? So just to run through them quickly, the first one is the blitz that you're talking about, Nathan. And again, I've, I've looked at this a lot. J.J. McCarthy, the first three drives for Michigan are fee- a field goal, a punt, and a punt. Ohio State's ahead 10-3. Michigan has third and nine. They had two nothing plays on the first two runs. And Jim Knowles dials up zero blitz, which means like there's no safety help. He blitz both safeties and he blitz both linebackers. And he also brought two defensive linemen and he dropped Jack Sawyer in coverage. So I think the four guys that you trust the most in space to make plays for Ohio State are Lathan Lansom, Ronnie Hickman, Steel Chambers, and Tommy Eichenberg. All four of those guys blitz along with two defensive linemen are rushing. That leaves Cam Brown in coverage by himself. I asked Jim Knowles about it after the game. Why did you do that? Why were you so aggressive there? He said, I thought J.J. McCarthy, we were holding our own, but he was kind of running around back there. He actually wasn't. He was three of nine for 48 yards passing, and the 10th play was an intentional grounding on his 10 dropbacks to that point. He was not really hurting him. And I think Jim Knowles got antsy. And if you drop back and play coverage there and bring a four-man rush, the 10 previous dropbacks, he had brought more than four rushers twice, only twice in the previous 10 dropbacks. Now you bring six guys on third and nine. Why? With the lead. Why? You're not desperate. Like you're tr- He likes going for a knockout punch in the second quarter up a score. And you leave Cam Brown on an island. He misses a tackle. Jack Sawyer is the only help because all the safeties are gone. And it's out of the house for a 60-plus yard touchdown. So that's one. Second one is they run a guy in motion. Cam Martinez is in the game instead of Tanner McAllister at that point. He gets turned around, 75-yard deep ball down the middle of the field. That's one-on-one. Guy gets turned around. Third one, they run a nice little route with two guys, two-man game with the tight end and somebody else. Lathan Ransom gets a little turned around. He breaks free. That's the third. The fourth one was actually early in the game. I forgot about it. It was the one play that McCarthy had made before the first touchdown, which is he escaped left, scrambled, and Denzel Burke or somebody lost coverage. It looked like Denzel Burke's guy, 33-yard play down the field, right? And then the fourth one was, and this was a humongous play in the game, it's the third and 10 or so, like in the red zone, and J.J. McCarthy is pressured. There's three guys in his face. And he just throws a ball up to the back of the end zone. And Ronnie Hickman gets a pass interference penalty because he runs at the guy and hits him early, doesn't turn and look for the ball. Five huge plays, five different Ohio State defenders, Nathan, right? So I agree, man coverage hurt them. But it's not like those guys were losing 50-50 balls constantly. It's not like Michigan was running crossers and the guys couldn't stay with them. It was like they missed a tackle. They lot, they blew a coverage completely. And so I understand the idea because you could see Michigan doing the opposite. They're dropping eight on CJ all game. A lot of zone, eyes on the quarterback, breaking on the ball, that kind of thing. So I understand the man defense conversation, but it's it's not the same as like, well, we tried to play man with defenders who can't run with our guys, which was the case right. for Don Brown and Michigan. It's like, you can't run with them. Stop trying to play man. This was more like, it it wasn't a lack of physical ability. It was just like they really they didn't do their jobs with the responsibilities in the moment to stay with guys, to play, to stay in the correct coverage. And so um yes, it's a familiar conversation, but I think it's it's a different kind of failure in that man defense. And so um and it's not all corners, right? We just named five right. guys. 
It's five different guys. Three of, are, three of them are safeties. It's not like the corners were just getting smoked all day. Right. But generally, overall, a failure of the pass defense showed up in big ways five or six times, and that did him in. No, I think that's an important thing to point out, that yes, we've talked about we haven't really talked about the past events being a problem all year. It's just specifically been the corners. And today, the whole secondary had problems. A point of order, I, someone I thought said that maybe Burke slipped on that play, the one you were talking about. It's, it wasn't even one that directly resulted in a touchdown. It but, was, and it's we didn't get a good look at it. So It was off the screen. Like on the TV replay, it's like you just sort of see the guy right. behind him by himself. Yeah, right. so maybe that's true. So and I didn't I don't remember seeing it live uh, the full thing but it, regardless I mean it was guys like I mean Ronnie Hickman doesn't make mistakes like that doesn't make plays like that PI just some uncharacteristic things started to happen today but again some of this I come back to credit for Michigan it almost like the Cam Martinez play seemed like a thing where they knew all right when they take McAllister out for whatever reason we like this matchup look for that guy and he double moves him, and now it's just off to the races. Like, that just seemed like Michigan, uh, a good coaching moment and a good execution moment by savvy players. Like, that, that at the end of the day, that's what decided this game. Yes. Like, like in the end, it's like, well, they were in man a lot, and they didn't make the plays, right? And again, and I don't know, like, even like the Ronnie Hickman thing, it was like, it was a scramble drill, right? It was like, yeah. there you could see three guys got through. Mike Hall and two other guys are chasing J.J. McCarthy, and he's just keeping the play alive. And he knew... Steven, he knew he wasn't going to complete that pass. No. He was just throwing it up, he trying, that, trying to, to draw a penalty. And as soon as they got the penalty, he was like pumping his arms because he's like, that worked out exactly as I hoped because it was third and 11. Nathan and I were talking about it. All Ronnie Hickman has to do is turn around. That's all he has to do. And it's the same concept. He still breaks the pass up, except it's not a pass interference, but lack of discipline. Which is, um, we can get into the day and the play call and all that stuff in a minute. Lack of discipline from the players today. Um, multiple situations led to a bunch of series of penalties, which, whether it was on offense or defense, gave Michigan extra chances to do stuff. They should have been off the field before we even got down to the one yard line. They should have been off the field, but a penalty back then puts them in a situation where now they're on the one yard line and they have multiple opportunities to score again and they end up punching it on the JJ McCarthy run for a touchdown. So, so that's the defensive side of the ball. It's, um, listen, they wound up playing all year a lot of the same guys from last year's defense. And last year, when we talked about, man, who are the stars in this defense? Guys raised their level of play this year, right? Tommy Eichenberg raised his level of play. JT Tuimoloau and Jack Sawyer played more. They helped. Zach Harrison raised his level of play this year. Teron Vincent raised his level of play this year. Mike Hall. Mm -hmm. Did nothing last year and came and was really good. Steel Chambers was better this year than he was last year. Lathan Ransom raised his level of play this year. Ronnie Hickman might have been the best defender on the team last year. He was very good again this year. And then the corners need to be a little better, right? Which we knew all year. But in the end, I, like it's hard because... It, it didn't feel to me like by the end. I don't know, Nathan. We I don't think we went into this game being like, oh, I don't know if Ohio State has enough good defensive players for this game. I don't. I don't. We didn't think that going in, right? I don't think we thought this was Ryan Shazier and Joey Bosa and Marshawn Lattimore and Malik Hooker. But I don't think we were like, well, talent deficit. Michigan's going to steamroll them, right? I mean, that's that's a fair assessment, and I and I don't think that now. I still don't – I don't think it was – now, is it the best collection of, of defensive talent that we've seen at Ohio State? No. 
I don't think there's a guy out there, you know, playing at an all American level, but it's, but it's a pretty good defense. And, and, and they just had eight or 10 whore bad plays today that did them in. But I just, I just like, I want to set the groundwork because uh, Steven, as you mentioned all the time, right? Scheme coaching personnel. I kind of mm-hmm. like want to lay the groundwork of like why this happened yeah. and what can be done. So I'm. I want to lay the personnel groundwork first. So Nathan, I'd like. I think we're kind of in agreement on that defensively, right? Yeah. One thing that has kind of come to me, and again, I'm not trying to make this a whole credit the Michigan podcast, but in the first half. So if you had asked, like, what is like the perfect thing that Ohio State wants to happen defensively in this game? They shut down Michigan's run game, make Michigan throw the ball, and now you're coming after JJ McCarthy, and now you're getting it at him and making him make mistakes. They did the first part of that. Michigan averaged, I think, two uh, sack-adjusted yards per carry in the first half. So you think that that's playing right into what Ohio State wants to do? Ohio State had one sack in this game. Like the times yeah. when McCarthy dropped back, there was no, there was, there was some pressure, but they weren't getting to him. And that one sack was when Cody Simon came in that blitz, and they credited mm-hmm. him with the sack, even though he didn't get him because it was an intentional grounding. Like the, the this Michigan offensive line won this game in so many ways like this you know take all of your your fancy skill guys for Ohio State uh Jim Harbaugh is saying and uh, I'll take this offensive line and we're gonna not only beat you last year we're gonna come into your house and beat you even worse with it this year which which is by the I way which is finished. why Jim Knowles brought six guys because right. he, he like that offensive That's line how he they wasn't were confident get and then getting four-man mm, pressure go right. ahead Steve I, I halfway agree with that because I think Michigan's offensive line did a very good job but I also think one McCarthy at some there were some times when McCarthy was just like I don't care if this is a passing play I'm taking it off which we've seen him do all season if you go watch some other Michigan games but also I think Jim Knowles from the first time we talked to him all throughout the off season all throughout fall camp was adamant that they could do everything they needed to do out of the four two five adamant and we were like but what about Notre Dame when you're playing these good tight ends never did it. Never came out the four two five. We didn't really start seeing them come out of that four two five. They didn't really even do it against Wisconsin. We saw it against Northwestern when it was very clear that there was nothing but running the ball that was going to be on the table. I mentioned it earlier. We saw three down linemen fronts where it wasn't a jack look. It was because they went dime, and so it was six DBs, and there was three down linemen. We saw three linebacker looks, four linebacker looks. This guy who came in here and was adamant that everything can happen out of the four two five. Was rarely in the four two five today. Well, but now, it, it, like with all this stuff, right? If you win, it's great. If you lose, it's bad. Yeah. I read that as, huh? Jim Knowles has been saving some stuff. That's how I mm. read that when it came out because we did. They had looks right where they'd have yeah. JT and Zach at defensive end and Sawyer. Yeah. I think we saw JT playing the Jack today. A couple yes. snaps, standing up and moving. I don't know that we'd seen JT do that. They had a look where they had like Tyleek Williams on the end and Mike Hall inside, and like JT was over next to Zach Harrison. I was like, well, that's interesting. We saw three. We saw three safeties. Well, like, there's like four safeties sometimes. Three linebackers sometimes. We saw. Yeah. I, 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 like what? So did he come out yeah. of it because he? didn't believe in it or did he was he trying to throw was he trying like listen man i gotta i gotta save something i don't want to show the whole package and now i'm gonna show it to jj mccarthy a because he's a mobile quarterback and b because i just i just want to give a guy a different look and show him some stuff we haven't put on film a ton yeah i think there's a middle ground there because 
I want to bring up something from 2019 when they were so stuck in the single high safety look and Jordan Fuller just played every snap possible. And then all of a sudden you're playing Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl and you're throwing Josh Proctor out there as a second safety and he's just not ready for that moment. So Trevor Lawrence gets a 67 yard touchdown. That's what Cameron Martinez reminded me out there. Cause it's not like they were working Cameron Martinez and they didn't rotate at safeties. They played their best three guys and it started with Josh Proctor, Ronnie Hickman and Taylor McAllister. And when it was very clear that Josh Proctor wasn't it, they brought in Lathan Ransom and that's just what it was back well, there. But was McAllister, wasn't, wasn't potentially Martinez in today because McAllister was dealing with little injury stuff. I, I, it was a little both because there were times where they both were out there when they were going yeah. through those dime looks. So it was a little bit of both, but I, I just think, the reason well, I brought point, the Josh question. Proctor thing up was the fact that like Cameron Martinez probably wasn't ready for this moment because he wasn't getting the necessary reps all season to be able to do something like this. I don't know. I mean, on that play in question, it wasn't like they were out of their ba- the reusual scheme the way you're talking about with Proctor. It was just a, he, it was just a substitution. I think you've got to be able to make substitutions once in a while and not have it be a catastrophe. And, but they never did during the season. They never made these substitutions. And so now all of a sudden he's out there in this moment and a double move hits and he does the worst thing you could do as a DB and that's turn your head. I mean, he got, he got burned. A guy who did not play much got burned in a huge moment. So like yeah. that, that is, that is a true fact. And, right. and again, Knowles yeah. kind of has said, I like my guys and I kind of play my guys mm-hmm. and that's who plays. So, and then a it, guy with not that many snaps gets turned around. It mostly became a huge moment because he got burned. It wasn't like it was, you know, tight. No, but it felt like but, but, yeah, I it know did feel like they attacked him. I, yeah. I mean, like they they a couple other times. Too. There, it feel like right. they attacked him. So, we, so the other thing is, this, pa- go ahead. No, no, no. Because I, I, I want to. I'm twisting a point towards the Michigan offense. Go ahead and finish this up, Nathan. Well, I was maybe this will take us there, but it's like I'm just struck by like we're spending all this time talking about the secondary, but really, if they make some like basic run fits late in this game. Maybe Ohio State still wins this well, game. So, so we'll get so we'll get to that in a second. Well, I, I want to do this right now. The two guys offensively for Michigan that did the most in this game mm-hmm. could have been Buckeyes, mm-hmm. and they are both mm. top fifty national players. And when we talk about the difference in the Ohio State Michigan rival, we usually go straight to talent, right? Ohio State has more good players. You look at the recruiting rankings, Ohio State has more good players. J.J. McCarthy is the number 25 overall player by 247's composite ranking in the class of 2021. Ohio State picks Kyle McCord over J.J. McCarthy. Donovan Edwards is the number 42 overall player in the class of 2021. Ohio State picks Travion Henderson over Donovan Edwards. J.J. McCarthy and Donovan Edwards lead lead Michigan to victory, and Kyle McCord and Travion Henderson do not play. Now, Trayvon Henderson has clearly been battling a foot thing all year. Trayvon Henderson was very good last year. He did more as a true freshman than Donovan Edwards did. Uh, And Kyle McCord is behind C.J. Stroud, and J.J. McCarthy was behind Cade McNamara. And so it's not like Kyle McCord's fault that he hasn't played yet. But but I want to add this. It's not just just Trayvon. They took two top 100 running backs in that class. Yeah. And injuries happen, but it's just – the guys that Ohio State chose over some of these Michigan guys, whether it was injuries or just you picked another dude, none of them played. Meanwhile, J.J. McCarthy and Donovan Edwards for two years in a row have been making plays in this game. Well, I mean, J.J. McCarthy was a backup wrinkle last year, and Donovan Edwards was their yeah. third string running back last year. But they won the game for Michigan today as yep. second-year players. And, and so I think it's less, Nathan, a discussion of, like, did Ohio State pick the wrong guys? And more a discussion that Michigan is now has guys that 
are as good as the Ohio State guys, right? That it's J.J. McCarthy or Kyle McCord. Well, they're both good. And a lot of times in the past, that wasn't who Michigan was playing. Well, Trayvon Henderson and Donovan Edwards and Evan Pryor, hey, they're all highly ranked. Well, the point is Mich- Michigan has a guy like that now. And so when we talk about who has the good, who has the better players, were Ohio State's players good enough? I do think when you were thinking about matchups, just like athletic skill, right? J.J. McCarthy is a very good athlete. Donovan Edwards is a very good athlete. When you see them move, when you see them in space, when you see them, okay, here it comes. Here comes an Ohio State defender to take on one of those guys in space. It's not necessarily true that the Ohio State guy is the better athlete when often in these conversations, Nathan, at least in recent history, it typically has been in almost any scenario. Here's a Michigan guy, and here's an Ohio State guy, right? My gosh, Devin Bush was the number 10 pick in the NFL draft, and he got matched up on Demario McCall, and it was like, well, who's the better player, right? It was one snapshot, but like it was, <laughs> it, it told a little story there, right? And now it's like, hey, look, here's Donovan Edwards. He's like their second string running back, and now he's popping through a hole, and here comes Lathan Ransom, who's a Thorpe Award semifinalist, and like there goes the angle because Donovan Edwards – exploded and that's it. And instead of a 20 yard run, it's a 75 yard run, Nathan McCarthy and Edwards were the type of difference makers that you would expect top 50 national players to be. And Michigan had two of them with the ball in their hands all day. And CJ Stroud is very good. Ohio state much of the day was handing the ball to a should be linebacker. So like that, there's a, there's a, there's some of that there as well, right here, right? Ohio state still has more good players, but the man, Michigan's five-star dudes won the game. Yeah. I think it is as simple as that. You know, I think in a lot of ways we had talked about how important it was going to be for this game that Ohio state had closed this gap on defense, just in terms of performance, but we probably didn't take into account enough how much Michigan has closed the gap talent wise and it's a combination of both things right it's not because uh, you guys i mean obviously doug you and we're experiencing all of it but there were in the recent past even when ohio state was lopsidedly winning this series i don't think people always thought it was because the talent was always so overwhelming is because maybe michigan wasn't utilizing that talent there were coaching breakdowns and now it seems like they have fixed both halves of it all right i want to talk more about the defensive coaching and then we'll get to the offensive side of the ball do it next on buckeye talk all right, back on Buckeye Talk, post-game, Ohio State loses to Michigan. So I thought that that Edwards run, I went back and looked at that. So it's 31-23, Joel Klatt says, they must get a stop here. It's like he could barely get the word here out, and they're handing the ball to Donovan Edwards, and he's running away from the entire defense. Jack Sawyer is up as the Jack on the right side of the line. Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg are over there. They run away from the Jack. We talked about, hey, maybe the Jack is like going to throw off the run game or whatever. They run to the opposite side of the Jack, so Sawyer's caught up in the wash. Eichenberg is not in the gap where Edwards comes through. He gets blocked. Chambers gets blocked. So it's like, all right, you have three down linemen. You have Sawyer, Eichenberg, and Chambers up. They're all blocked. And now Hickman was on the opposite side but down in the box. He was down in the box tight, but again, on the opposite side of where the run is. Let's talk about an escape hatch, right? Michigan chose the right hatch because like the weight of the defense was kind of the other way. And then all of a sudden, it's just three. It's blo- Sawyer's in the wash. It's blocks on Eichenberg and Chambers. Bang, bang. 
and now it's one-on-one with Lacey Ransom, and he's just like he's a little, I don't know, I don't want to say slow to the edge or the angle or whatever, but like instead of a 20-yard run, it's a 75-yard run, it's gone. And like I did, like when you just look at the, when you look at the alignment of the defense in that moment, Nathan, like, oh, listen, I'm not a coach, but I don't love it. And certainly the result didn't work. And so I didn't think Jim Knowles had a great game. And you're a $2 million a year guy who was brought here for this. And Michigan was one thing all year and they turned into another thing on Saturday. And that's difficult, right? Well, that's why you make two million bucks, and we will get to Ryan Day on the other side of of the coaching of this. But I, but I thought in the end, like I, it it didn't feel like a winning formula from Jim Knowles, and so I was almost a little surprised that the how did this affect your view of Jim Knowles is only a five point five that that's not a little bit higher because coming into today, I thought like, well, Jim Knowles, he's like the best hire of the offseason. I think he's going to win the Broyles award. And after today, it was like, I, I didn't think that was great. What do you think, Nathan? Yeah, oh, I, I think I agree with that. And I point blank asked Ryan Day after the game. I mean, you hired Jim Knowles in part because in this game a year ago, you didn't have an answer. You could not come up with an answer. Michigan was just relentless. You couldn't stop them. You you had no counterpunch. And today, Ohio State really didn't have a counterpunch. Yes, they were succeeding against the run early on, but but in part, I think Michigan saw the opportunities in the passing game and took them. That's going to affect you know a little bit how how those 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 possessions played out. And and then late in this game, you know, I asked Jim Knowles too, like you're having success against run early. Did you feel like Michigan? Well, like how did this game change? And and he said yes, they changed some things schematically, but it's really just basic plays that they hit on for both of those big touchdowns. And ultimately, I'm that ultimately that comes down to him too. I mean, a year ago, everything was discombobulated. You had switched coordinators in the middle of a year. The personnel was never right last year. They never really figured out who their best defensive players were. Sometimes they were forced into these weird fits of uh, picking guys on the fly. There were some injuries, whatever. It was just a strange year. But but this year, it was all supposed to be like set up and, and building towards this moment. And for them to have just had such systemic failures fundamentally because i don't think we looked at this game okay like a guy makes a good double move against cam martinez but that wasn't like reinventing the wheel a guy they run that little that mesh concept and lathan ransom gets peeled off but that's still kind of a basic football play that's not like uh something some fancy uh, space age thing like uh, i was he was just getting beat in fundamental ways defensively and it happened over and over and over again today and and it didn't it wasn't like anyone made a difficult catch for Michigan, right? I no, mean, it was Marvin Harrison you know, the, still had the best catches of the day by far, like the best yeah. three. Cause most of the time, like when they wound up, it was like, okay, Johnson make, catches the ball on the sideline, breaks the tackle and is gone. That's a nice play by him to break the tackle. It was a hard catch. You know, the deep ball down the middle, he's wide open. You know, the tight end after the mesh route, like he's wide open, right? Drawing a pass interference. That's not, that's not really anything. So um, I, I would say, I mean, I don't think Jim Knowles is bad. But uh, I don't know, Stephen. I, I think I think Jim Knowles, not that he has to go back to the drawing board, but like he had a way of doing things when he got here. And mm-hmm. we were all year intrigued, starting back in the spring of, okay, well, you've done this kind of always. You did it for the Big 12. Um, and again, it's like that 
he's he faced a lot of passing offenses in the Big Twelve and got <laughs> yeah. passed on here. Like that's it, again, it's not like if they would have gotten run over all day. And we do have to note. Well, let let me get your Jim. Like where like what do you think of Jim Knowles as we sit here, Stephen? I want to talk about the the running game stats briefly before we go to offense. But what are your what's your Jim Knowles view? Yeah, uh, you wrote about this. You were asking about it. I think there's Jim Knowles before that first big touchdown, and there's Jim Knowles after that. Because before that, I actually thought the defense was having a very good day and giving this offense opportunity after opportunity that the offense just wasn't taking advantage of. I thought they had bottled up J.J. McCarthy, and they knew he wants to run. So as Zach Harrison had said, they were rushing smart and not being over-aggressive with it and allowing him to have these escape hatches, and it was working. Everything was fine. And then he blitzed six guys. His corner got beat, and it was a touchdown, and it felt like it was an avalanche downhill. Every, he kept making – it's like he made one bad decision and kept making another bad decision and another bad decision and another um, – coaches sometimes call that when they're talk, telling the players, shoveling the S-word. And that's what it felt like Jim Knowles' day was. He was shoveling the S-word and making it worse instead of coming up for air at halftime and making the adjustments necessary. So I do think there's, you know, the stat out there is Michigan ran for 242 yards in the second half, but 160 of that was on the two Donovan Edwards touchdown runs. Mm-hmm. Not that that isn't terrible, but it wasn't exactly Nathan. Like they just <laughs> rammed it down Ohio state's throat the whole second half. You take it. So they had, they gained 160 yards on two plays and then the other 22 carries, they gained 82 yards, but they did. There was a moment where they got the run game going a little bit in the second half with Donovan Edwards. And there was even like a, he kind of had like a little bit of an inside cutback lane where I was like, "Uh Oh, so like now if Michigan gets the run game going and it was the drive where they, it was right at the end of the third quarter, they were driving and they can converted a run on third and three in the red zone. That was like the last play before the quarter flipped. And then we went to the fourth quarter and then Ohio state like made two good plays and then it was third and 11, and then it's the pass interference in the end zone. And then on the next third down, McCarthy gets in. So it's even like, okay, they did have a drive there. Like Michigan kind of marched Nathan with the run game. But Ohio State was on the precipice of halting that drive. Michigan's up four at that point, holding them to a field goal, keeping it a one-score game. And then on a desperate third of the end zone, they get the pass interference call. And now, so there were, we're not going to have a huge playoff discussion because Ohio State needs help to get in. But like in the end, like the way those two big touchdown runs happened at the end, it it did sort of feel like that Ohio State got rolled in the second half. And statistically, you can look at that. They really were kind of right there, but for uh, like a bad penalty on offense or defense or a missed third down, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then it got away late in the final seven and a half minutes with the two long touchdown runs. But, um, you know, I didn't like – it wasn't like they just, which you thought Michigan might do. It wasn't they weren't just going five yards, five yards, five yards, right? The whole second half, but those two huge plays for a guy who talks about explosive plays all the time, they got killed in explosive plays in the pass game early and in the run game late. And I think there's something to be said for as much as you're right about. Could it be? Is it maybe more fair to say that Michigan took the lead by playing? Ohio, the way the Ohio State wins games, but they maybe ended up just winning this game the way they win games. Because in Michigan with a lead, averaging four yards a carry is not something to be trifled with. 
Like, that's how, I mean, the, the, the huge sequence of this game where, you know, they, uh, we may get into coaching decisions more. I'm not going to talk about the fourth and five decision yet, but Ohio State punts the ball away. It goes for a touchback. And then Ohio, Michigan doesn't give the ball back until eight minutes have gone by and they've scored another touchdown. And that wasn't uh, an 80-yard run. That wasn't a 75-yard run. That was just a methodical grind the way Michigan has grinded its way now to 12 wins. Like, that's what they are. That was their identity, just just being plowed across the Ohio Stadium field. And uh, you're right to point out, yes, I mean, it was really those two explosive plays. And those, as I said before, could have been choked off, I think, pretty easily. I think that's what's going to maybe haunt this defense the most was that if they just make a, an easier, a simple fit, simple for me to say, simple fit on those two plays, the Ohio State's got a shot here, but but you got to give Michigan, I think, credit also for just getting back to its identity and and really grinding away that time and, 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 and getting into the end zone. And that drive we're talking about, right, is that's the one that ended the third quarter. So, so the thing of that is, is they did run the ball well. But they had three third downs on that drive. They picked up one on the third and three where Donovan Edwards just ran it like a normal person. Their other two third downs on that drive were the third and one where they handed off to the running back and the running back stopped short of the line and then threw a pass to the tight end. Yeah. So it was a, like a brilliant trick play, but yeah. it's not exactly like a, a running back didn't like plow over Tommy Eichenberg. Mm-mm. And then it's the third 11 scramble drill pass interference. So yes, they marched, absolutely. But again, it wasn't, it, it still was something a little short to me of like, Michigan exerting its will in the run game because they ran a brilliant trick play and got a pass interference on third and 11 that kept those drives alive, but they did march. And so, and it did come right after Ryan Day punted the ball away. So I do think that's probably generally enough on the Michigan defense, excuse me, on the Michigan offense and the Ohio state defense, because people do want to talk about the Ohio state offense. Steven, did Ohio state have enough good offensive players to win this game? Or were they short somewhere when you think about personnel? Yes and no. And on my drive home, I think right after the game, I'd have been like, yes, what is going on here? But on my drive home, I live about 20, 25 minutes away from the stadium. So I got to cool down and really think about it. The offense we have been talking about since January and what made this team good, two of them were in street clothes. Two-thirds of the reason why we thought this was going to be the best offense in the country were in street clothes on Saturday, and that's Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and Travion Henderson. And I think it's thrown off everybody. It's thrown off, the, it's thrown off the coaching staff. It's thrown off the players. It's thrown off the media and how we cover this team. It's just thrown off a lot of different things. And so I will give some reprieve from that. But even with that being said, Marvin Harrison's probably the best receiver in the country. Emeka Buka has gotten back to being the Emeka Buka we saw the first six or seven weeks here. Uh, Julian Fleming didn't necessarily have problems with drops. And until today, Paris Johnson had never given up a sack as a tackle. They had, and CJ Stroud was still the, at worst, second for the Heisman Trophy and probably had a chance to win the thing today, even with what Caleb Williams did last week. Yes, they had plenty of talent to win this game. So in the end, Emeka Buka targeted 15 times, nine catches for 125. Marvin Harrison Jr. targeted 10 times, seven catches for 120. So their two best receivers, 16 catches for 225 and two scores. It, it is an odd thing. And again, the hard thing about that, it's not hard about it. It's just the reality, Nathan, is Michigan won without its best player. So it's like, oh, Ohio State didn't have Jackson Smith and Jigba. Well, you had all year to adjust to that. Michigan didn't have mm-hmm. Blake Corum, who they had the whole year and built their offense around 
up until the second half of the Illinois game last week. And then they had to be like, oh, okay, well, now what do we do? But I, I do think there's a small but in there that Steven brings up, Nathan, because as we talked about all year, you could see some of the Xavier Johnson stuff today. You can see some of the Emeka stuff. It's like, that would have been for Jackson Smith and Jigba. And in the end, they were handing the ball to a guy who transferred here from Arizona State to play linebacker. And at Arizona State was like, fine. Even if he had transferred here to be a running back and was a running back the whole time, it'd be like, what? Like the guy who's going to be the main running back against Michigan is a guy who much for like 400 yards or whatever for Arizona State last year? Like what's what's happening? So when you think about where Chip Trainum was in the preseason, he wasn't even on the running back depth chart because he was on the linebacker depth chart. And so to get down to that, and we can have a Dallin Hayden conversation as well. Chip Trainum looked pretty good at times today, Nathan, which is why I do think your mind doesn't immediately go to, well, they didn't have any good running backs. It's like, well, I don't know. Chip Trainum was doing some stuff. But it's not Ezekiel Elliott. It's not Beanie Wells. It's not 2019 J.K. Dobbins. It's not Archie Griffin. And listen, like they shouldn't have to have a Heisman Trophy winning running back in this offense to win. But this was a pretty pretty far from where they thought they would be. And as good as Chip Trainum was, he wasn't as dangerous. Nobody that they gave the ball to today was as dangerous with the ball in their hands right. as Donovan Edwards. And this was going to be Donovan Edwards point. was the most dangerous running back who played today. That was going to be my point, that it comes all the way back full circle to what you were saying before about the skill position talent here. That when, uh, when Ohio State had to go away from its first choice, it went to either Mayan Williams Former, you know, a guy who's had a good year, but, you know, also doesn't have maybe that five-star upside. Or a guy who, yes, I know he played running back before, but there's a reason he transferred here not to play running back anymore. Um, And then when Michigan went to its second guy, yes, Donovan Edwards' hand was compromised, but his feet were not in any way. And it just shows what that guy can do. Like, it's a more electric level of player. And I didn't think of it before when you brought it up, but I think that's the stark contrast, right? That the the second option for Michigan could take over this game. I, I think Chip Trainum did great, actually, M- much more than you would have expected him to have to do yeah. in the biggest game of the year. Like kudos to him, really, to stepping up and doing that. Um, I'm a little, I, I don't quite know why they would go with him instead. Of Can I get my first gripe, Dallin Hayden? My first gripe. Your I've first got a gripe. You have a list. Do you have a list? Oh, I have a list. Oh, this was a terrible coaching job. Remember on the preview pod where we broke down the carries of the guys who might play? I said eight, and I said they're going to give it to Mayan early and really try to get him going. He had five carries in the first quarter. He had three in the second quarter, and he didn't touch the ball in the second half. It was the same thing they did with Travion last week. Why? If it – Why? Clearly, well, Mayan Williams and Travion, the last two weeks, it's very clear Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson are not healthy enough to be themselves. So why mess around with that in this game? Whether you were, well, okay, fine, you went to chip train him, which, I mean, even in high school, you were trying to get, get him to come here and play linebacker when you were recruiting him. You didn't want him to play running back. Whoever was going to be the other guy, why not just start with that guy instead of testing out something that has been very clear the entire second half of the season, that neither one of those two are healthy enough to get it done for you, but they spent the last two weeks trying to give those guys the ball for it to end up being nothing. That's a little bit I mean, there was a play in Ryan Dake. Go ahead, Nathan. It's a little bit tricky. As long as eight yards. 
but it's a little bit tricky because Sorry. we're not there during a week of practice. Like they're basing this off of how these guys looked at a week of practice and what then happens in a game can throw that off a little bit. I'm, I'm not dis- I'm not dismissing the point you're trying to make, but I think it's, it's more complicated and nuanced than maybe it looks at, at first glance. It does. Except if you have weeks of proof that, yeah, they look good all week in practice, but when it's actually time and when it actually matters on game day, they can't make it through. At some point, you just go, okay, we're going to stop trying this. I will say well, that. Well, they did, but they just didn't stop it soon enough for your liking, right? I mean, they did. They the, stopped yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, but Ryan Day did bring it up. Like, he, he based, there was like a wide run left, I think, with Mayan where mm-hmm. they had it blocked up. And it was like, if you have a super explosive back in that moment, that guy would have yep. had, had enough runway to get jet engines on his feet. And Mayan kind of got going and got like seven yards out of it. And that was like a mm-hmm. solid run, but it was like, you could tell it wasn't Mayan at full go. And I'm yep. not blaming, like you just know, Mayan was compromised. And I think Ryan Day saw that in that moment. It was like, uh, uh, okay, this might not work. The Dallin Hayden thing is it, we did not get a good answer on that post game. And I know chip, like chip had not been practicing much like chips. As it turns out, it's like, Train him had also been injured. It was kind of like, I don't know. All right, throw it in the list of running back injuries. Who cares? He's a linebacker. And maybe they would have gotten to him a couple weeks ago if he had been healthier. But we'd spent, all of us, not just on this podcast, all of us on the beat spent a long time this week talking about Dallin Hayden. And then they didn't really use him. But then when Ohio State was down 11 with nine and a half minutes left, then Dallin Hayden was in the game. And I was like, so what? So like, you're not willing to use him like when it's zero zero in the first quarter, but when you're down eleven wall, with nine man. minutes left, like now you'll put him in. I was, I was confused by that. Of like, do you, do you for whatever reason? We, I'm not saying they don't trust him, but you could maybe it was like okay, well they just didn't want to play him early in the Michigan game. He's a true freshman. He only got here in the summer. He still really hasn't played all that much. Maybe they just don't want to put too much on him in this huge game early. And then it was like, oh, now we're desperate. Now we'll go to him. So then I was like, well, then why? Like, why didn't you play him earlier? Because it looked like he was doing some good things last week. And that's cool. I understand that excuse, except you gave him the ball, what, 24 times last week when that game was still on the line and you were on the road in that situation. It looked, it felt like they were panicking. And so they were throwing stuff at the wall when they put him into that game. And when it, they it, put Dallin in late, it's it's just like here we're gonna go with this now. But I guess my question is, but why didn't they do it before? Like I I don't have a good reason in my he's head got, for why he, Dallin Hayden didn't play more early. He's got to be fumbling. It's the only thing that would make sense because Ryan Day keeps talking about ball security every time he talks about Dallin Hayden. He's got to be fumbling in practice. But even no, that said, doesn't make sense because he never fumbles in the game. He, he says that every time he talks about yeah. any running back. He's, he's always talking about ball security whenever he talks about any running back. I, I think you can make the case, and I'm not, again, not like victim shaming here. I'm not, like as you're saying, Doug, I'm not putting this on Mayan Williams. But we talked coming into this game, well, for weeks, about this the run, the run pass balance and what is the importance of the run game for Ohio State. And my point coming into this game was just stay on schedule. Run it efficiently enough. Hit the gaps. You don't have to be breaking 85, 75-yard touchdown runs. It helps. You don't have to. Just keep the passing game on schedule. And I think you could argue that, I mean, Ohio State comes out, marches down, scores a touchdown to open the game. I think you could argue that that period where it went south for Mayan Williams, again, possibly no fault of his own, that's where things got gummed up a little bit in the first half. I think there was some momentum lost there. 
Um, that's where you had some drives that ended in field goals that could have maybe gone for more. It just that seemed like a point of the game where if you had something more explosive coming out of the run game, Ohio State the whole offense clicks more there. Ohio State is able to put some more points on the board rather than let Michigan hang around and then ultimately come back and take the lead. So in the end, if you look at the three running backs, Trainum, Williams, and Hayden combined 24 carries for 125 yards. 124 yards. Like, That's is not- that, like, did they, so I, like, I, I don't feel like they lost the game because their run game was terrible. Which was like no. on the radar, like was for eleven weeks. It was like, well, I don't know. Are they, they're trying to work it out. They want to be physical. They want to be tough. They want to run the ball. I don't know. They're going to run the ball. Oh, the running backs are hurt. They can't get any rhythm. Oh, it's really a short. Like we all year, we talked about the run game, and then we got here, and they were literally down to a compromised number two guy, a number four guy who's a true freshman, and like a number not a number guy because he was at a different position when the season started. Guy, and like. Chip played well. Like, Chip did play well. And Mayan did whatever he, like, Mayan did what he could. Mayan wasn't getting the ball and falling down because of his injury. He just wasn't maybe, you know, what he would have done. The, the run he made against Northwestern for the touchdown when he, he got through a hole and, like, ran three guys over, like, he wasn't going to do that today. No. And so maybe they really needed that today. So they didn't get a lift from the run game, I would say. But I don't think the run game held them back prevented them from winning like is that i'm trying to figure out where where are you guys with how we assess the run game's role in the outcome on saturday well i think if trevin henderson had been healthy and had carried 25 times for 125 yards would we be standing here talking about how like trevin henderson had it's still it's five yards to carry against yeah. the number three team in the country like that, that a ain't defense. a bad yeah. day yeah. that ain't yeah. a bad day against a really good I, run defense especially yeah i don't i my gripe is not necessarily even the effectiveness of the run game. It's more just who they tr- decided to use and why well, they decided to use them. But even in it's, the run game did what, it, what we expected the run game to do today. I have no gripes with the way the, that any of those three ran given the circumstances. And then I do also have some questions about like it's first and 35 at your own 27 and now you're you run the ball? Pitching the ball. Like I don't I don't there was I know you probably have a whole thing loaded up about day and and stuff doug but like there were some (laughs) just decisions with the run game that i thought were curious they were very good running up the middle but anytime they tried to run outside whether it was a stretch plays or a pitch play it never worked but anytime they just went up the gut of michigan's defense they actually ran it pretty well and that's the opposite of what i remember seeing in this game in 2019 where it was obvious that michigan did not have the speed to stay with ohio state that you could just kill them on the edge all day Mm mm-hmm so there was so let's talk about so that's so we've established the run game. Um, so let's let's do this real quick. I don't we we can't. Jackson Smith and Jigba is a special player. They haven't had him all year. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a special player. They have had him all year. Emeka Abuka is very good. Julian Fleming can make plays. Xavier Johnson can make plays. I think if you told any other passing game in the country, it's like, okay, you want to take your shot in a game with Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Abuka, and Julian Fleming with a little bit of Xavier Johnson mixed in, like, would you take that room? I think they'd take the room. I think 
maybe you could feel them missing the explosion. Because again, it's like Marvin makes a big play, but it's on a like a ball that CJ drops in a bucket on his hands, and Marvin runs a great route down the sidelines, and it's awesome. Steven, there wasn't a ton of listen, and still a mecca down the seam on third and seven in another universe. Maybe that's a game changing play, right? Mm-hmm. That's a huge play by CJ and Emeka. That's gigantic, right? Um, there are other things here. But like the the little thing, the thing that always pops mind with Jackson Smith and Jiggo, it's like, ah, oh, what was that? It's like, ah, oh, a little seven yard curl in the middle of a field. What happened? Ah, oh, he scored a seventy five yard touchdown. He exploded between five guys. I don't know how he did it. It's like the Tasmanian Devil coming out, and all of a sudden he's in the end zone like that. And we've st- we've known that Stephen, like we've known they didn't have that. But maybe today was the day they really missed that. For the first time, which is not a surprise because Michigan is by far the best team that they have played. And it's not an excuse. And I don't think it's a reason that like Ohio State could say, well, yeah, we didn't win. We didn't have a, but they didn't have a special guy on a day when they needed special guys because other things weren't happening. It's one of my gripes and it's not necessarily a gripe with anybody. It's, I mean, stuff happens. He got hurt. It's a Mecca book had 15 targets and he only caught nine of them. This is not a knock against Emeka Buka at all, and I don't want it to sound like that. This is more about Jackson Smith the Jigba. Jackson catches 13 of those, and he has 210 yards. Just because of the style of slot receiver he is, you just you give him a short pass, and he turns it into something long because that's just what he does. He knows how to feel his way around in that middle of the field, and he knows how to turn it into something and break off that first tackle. The biggest problem today was, one, they're using Xavier Johnson the way that they would have used Jackson Smith the Jigba, and that's too big of a gap in talents. Xavier Johnson has is a wonderful story, and what he's been able to do this year, he is still a former walk-on. He should not be, ha- be being asked to do the things that you would be doing with a five-star wide receiver who was the Belitnikoff Award favorite in the preseason. So the problem now is Marvin probably would have ended up being your number one because he's an ex-receiver that's just a complete problem. But then Jackson's your two, and Emeka would have been your three, and Julian is your four. That's what we thought it was going to be. You lose Jackson, now Emeka and Julian have to move up a spot in the hierarchy of things. Imagine if Emeka had that number at the third guy, which is what they had last year. They had three dudes capable of going for 100 yards every single game. They've only got two. And I know that's a luxury, but that's the way this passing offense works when it's operating on high cylinders. Is you've got three dudes who might be first rounders who can all go at it for a hundred yards at the same time with the way CJ throws the ball. But instead, your third guy has forty-seven yards, and your fourth, fifth guy has thirteen yards. Your sixth guy has thirteen. It's just there is a drop off between what there's already a drop off from Marvin to Mecca, but then there's an even bigger drop off from from a Mecca to whoever is number three that day. And it's not always the same person. I get it. But like, I also, I mean, Michigan didn't have any problem with like Cornelius Johnson and Colston Loveland stepping up and making plays today. Yeah. That's Ohio, the, I mean, Ohio state, as much as we might say Donovan Edwards was the most dangerous. Cornelius back Johnson. On the field, yeah. Ohio, Ohio state still has the most dangerous receivers. Like I, I yes. like a Mecca book is better than anybody Michigan has. Like Michigan's guys, caught stuff when they were wide open, but Ohio State's still the two best receivers in the game, and I don't think there's any doubt about that at all. So, yeah, like the idea of like, oh, you only had two guys who could get 100 yards. How come you didn't have three? I I did think, Nathan, there was a part of me like watching the game, especially the first half, right? You watch it, and you're like, man, it seems like Ohio State's playing pretty well. Like, why don't they have more points? And there were really, there were like five or six individual little plays 
many of them on third down in this game, that it's like, if that goes a different way, not all six, maybe two, go a different way, Ohio State has another seven or 10 or 14 points. And that is the kind of thing, Nathan, where, well, Michigan is really good at defense. And I think in the matchup, right, we were doing matchups, little individual matchups in the game all week. We did like Jesse Minter, the Michigan defensive coordinator against C.J. Stroud. But really, of course, that's Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud against Jesse Minter. Jesse Minter, first-year guy taken over for Mike McDonald. Nathan, I think Jesse Minter won. I think, you know, Ryan Day made somewhat of a good point as he was defending his decision about the, the fourth down and five decision to punt, saying that if they had been performing better on third down, they would have given themselves more chances. And he's right. I think they were like one of their last seven on third down. And some of that was when the game was, was getting away from them and they had to force it a little bit. But I mean, still, like they they got to a point of this game where they just could not keep possession of the ball. They couldn't keep things going. Um, now. That gets us back to why you're running the ball on whatever that was, third and, and eight to set up the fourth and five or whatever. I don't remember. That That's not a good example. There was a different play. It was a different series before that where they ran the ball on third medium and only got a couple yards. But, like, I, 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 I was with you that in some ways that I didn't understand. You, you get to halftime and you're like, where, where did these yards show up as points? But in some ways, though – this game just flipped from what I expected it to be. Like it was, it was what I expected it to be just the teams reverse. Cause I thought in my, in my predictions that we talked about, Iowa state was the team that gets touchdowns. Now they get them in the red zone. They don't get them necessarily the way Michigan was getting them today, but Ohio state would be the team that scores touchdowns and Michigan would be the team that settles for field goals. And that ended up kind of flipping on its head tonight. So I did think, so I, I, I don't have these sketched out that I, I, I wrote some of them down into like a quick mini rewatch of certain parts of the game when I got home. So they're not in order. But I do think like you could see, and Joel Klatt's pointing this out in the game, Michigan, they're playing two high safeties. They're dropped pretty deep. They're letting their corners make plays on the ball. There was like a throw in the middle of the field to Marvin where one of the Michigan defensive backs like really aggressively broke on the ball and broke it up. And maybe, uh, I think people thought maybe the guy was there a half a half nanosecond early, but I thought it was a good play on the ball. Yeah. And it's like, hey, we're going we're gonna to let our guys be back, read, make breaks on the ball, make aggressive plays. The, the first field goal that Ohio State kicked when they were held in the red zone after they drove in the first for the first drive and scored a touchdown, the second drive, right? They have a third and long in the red zone. They send three guys out in the route and Michigan drops eight, drops eight, rushes three, drops eight. And you take a snapshot of that picture and there's like three Michigan guys around the guy in the middle of the field. There's two guys on Marvin at the top and there's another two guys in the guy in the bottom. And it's where CJ ended up missing to a Mecca. He ran like a little in and out route. And it just, it was going to be really hard to complete anything there because they had eight guys covering three guys. So like, that's a win for Jesse Minter. That's drop eight. And again, Jim Knowles, sometimes you just drop eight. This is a situation and, and here's the thing, like all year, I'm like, I don't want CJ to run because the minute CJ Stroud crosses the line of scrimmage, he becomes less dangerous. It doesn't mean that I don't understand the need or the, the maybe not a need, the bonus of a running quarterback, right? JJ McCarthy. Now, JJ McCarthy did not run that much, right? JJ McCarthy it, coming into the game did not have a game in which he had more than seven rushes. He had six for 20 for six for 27 yards, right? It's not like he ran all over him. But, like, you see that, like, they're dropping eight, and CJ, he's just not going to step up and run there because he's not going to get it, right? 
Maybe a faster, more athletic guy would get it, but that's not who he is. So I don't want CJ to run there. But also this goes a little bit back to Jackson, Stephen. Like that to me is a little bit where Jackson and CJ have a mind meld. Maybe this was supposed to be the route, but Jackson breaks it off and just gets to the open space. And maybe they have a little bit less of that where, hey, they dropped eight, the route wasn't there, and now CJ's looking at a picture and nobody's open and it's third down. So I thought that early, it's like, what's wrong? It's like, okay, well, that was a good drive. And on third down, Jesse Minter, the defensive coordinator, won, and there wasn't an Ohio State guy who could overcome Michigan making the better call in that moment because it's not CJ's skill set and Jackson wasn't on the field and Marvin's going to run a great route. But if there's two guys on him, like he might not be open. This offense was missing somebody who just gets open because you're right. Marvin just gets open, but you can't get open when there's a guy covering you. There's a safety over top. And sometimes there's even a third guy shading to you because everybody knows you can catch everything on the, under the sun. They needed today when, when these teams drop eight on Ohio State, you need a guy, especially in the slot, who can just get open. And that is not a mecca skill set. And I think that is the difference between a kid who grew up in a five star who grew up in Washington and a five star who grew up in Texas and passing offenses is that he came into Ohio State with some of that understanding of space. They says this a lot spatial awareness, how to sit in the zone, where to sit in a zone, when to, you know, turn an option route into when to go deep on the option route, when to go left, when to go right, just all these little nuances that when you've been doing that since the sixth grade and you're super talented, I mean, that's how the Utah game happened. And that's how the Nebraska game happened last year. You don't, you took, you took that off the table. So now when teams drop eight, literally nobody's open. So you have CJ standing back there and then half of the crowd is wondering why he's not running. Well, it's because he's not athletic, but also he's trying to see if anybody's open down the field. And I wouldn't completely dismiss, too, what McCarthy did as a runner. I mean, you take away the sack. It's five carries for 37 yards. That's not what Justin Fields is doing in the NFL right now, I know, with his 100-and-whatever-yard a week. But that's not nothing. That's not a that's not an explosive play every time he touches the ball, but it's a chunk. Like, if, you're, if you can if, – if that's like your backup plan as your quarterback when he isn't going to throw a completion is to get a chunk, that means something in a game this tight. So let's talk about some more individual plays. So I thought that was a, like a single play – that takes four points off the board for Ohio State, right? It's a red zone play, holds them to a field goal when they were looking pretty good otherwise. I'm going to lose track. The fourth down, they did go on, right? They wind, CJ th- throws for Cade Stover. Yeah. I thought they tried to get a little cute. They took Marvin Harrison off the field. They had Xavier Johnson in the game as the only receiver. I, we said, like, if you told us in the preseason that mi- the first fourth down that Ohio State was going to go for in the Michigan game, the five skilled players on the field will be Xavier Johnson, Mayan Williams, G. Scott, Mitch Rossi, and Cade Stover. We would have been like, did did the entire receiver room get abducted by aliens? Where's Travion Henderson? Where, like, what is happening? And they end up trying to run a little route. Cade Stover blocks and then releases. The guy he blocks doesn't get over aggressive. And when Cade releases, he runs with them. CJ tries to lead him. He kind of puts it on Cade's hand. It hits off his hand. It's probably like an 84% good enough throw, Nathan. If it's a 100% good enough throw, it's probably a completion. But the I think you kind of lose there once the defender recognizes what's happening and runs with Cade because it was kind of Cade or nothing the way the play was drawn up. 
And it's just one of those things, again, I mean, I know you can't run slants to Marvin Harrison Jr. all day, but it's like, as Mar- it's like they're, hey, they're going for it on fourth down. And it's like, wait, Marvin Harrison Jr. is running off the field and Xavier Johnson is running on. Like, did his shoe fall off? What is happening here? And I just thought, Nathan, again, it's the fine line. Hey, do you want to have something special for the Michigan game? Yeah, we saved our Johnson, Williams, Rossi, Scott, Stover package for the Michigan game. And then it's like, well, why didn't you just throw to one of the other two receivers that you targeted 25 times in this game? But it almost worked, Nathan, but it didn't. But that's that should have been points, and it wasn't. I think the call to go for it on fourth down was right. I don't think the play was terrible. I don't think it was their best play, but I think it's just another example of like, it was close, but it wasn't close enough. And the result is Ohio state doesn't get any points out of it. Yeah. And if Michigan had not completed that, um, halfback shot put to the backup tight end for a a, a conversion. You know what I mean? Like then you'd have Michigan fans talking about how they got too cute and blew a moment, but one team executed and one team didn't. It's just, it was that, it was that tight. One team out executed the other one today. So I didn't, so like that was, that was not great. I don't, I don't think it's like the worst thing that ever happened, but like it was, I I thought, I thought it was a little cute. I I liked going for it on fourth down. I I didn't like uh, what they wound up doing. Next one I want to talk about. They're at midfield. They get the ball back. um, Whatever it is, they wind up at like a third and three around midfield and they run like a little toss play left for Chip yeah. Trainum, where they kind of put it on a Cade Stover block, and it kind of isn't there, and that's it. And and in that moment, Stephen, I was kind of like, "What? That's that's your best third and three play at midfield there." I I thought that was disappointing. And again, it's it's one third down, but it was like in right in a in a in a near a scoring area, and you don't execute it, and you wind up having to punt it. What happened to aggressive Brian Day? Because ever since Trey Sermon got hurt against Alabama in the national championship game, I feel like we see that version of Brian Day less and less every single game. Where is the Ryan Day where your second score against Maryland, you kick an onside kick? Where is the we're going tempo and we're catching Clemson off guard? We've got Brent Venables on his heels. Where's I? I I don't know what the most aggressive thing Ryan Day did. Maybe the fourth and one where they go for it, but they got cute. But there were not a lot of play calls today that felt aggressive. And like they were attacking Michigan. It felt like it was safe. It was conservative. And that is not the Ryan Day that showed up here and has created these elite offenses over the last couple of years. And he picked the wrong day to not show that side of him. So that wasn't great. They end up punting away there, but they hold Michigan a force of three and out, and they get the ball right back. And I thought maybe, Nathan, this is arguably the play of the game. Again, Michigan is up 24-20 at this point. Ohio State, third and three. They don't get it. They punt. They force a three and out. They get it back. They take over in Michigan territory. They get it plus territory. It's first and 10 at the 48. And I know Ryan Day has been like very interested in CJ Stroud take, taking checkdowns when they're there. So he hits Chip Trainum on a little one in the middle of the field. Chip Trainum makes a great move and runs 24 yards down to the 24-yard line. And as it happens, it's like, oh, Ohio State's down four, the middle of the third quarter, but they just got it down to the 24-yard line. And like now it's going to be scoring time. 
And this, yeah, this like right in the middle of the third quarter. And instead, Donovan Jackson holds on the play. He got beat by the guy and he sort of turned and grabbed the guy. It was a clear hold. So the play was going to be wiped out anyway. But then also G. Scott headbutted a Michigan player on the sideline. Nobody knows why. And this sets up a first and 35. So they go from thinking as the play ends, you think Ohio State's going to be on the Michigan 24. Instead, they start the next play on the Ohio State 27. It is it is a 50-plus yard difference in what you thought was going to happen. And now this sets up the scenario where they don't go for it on fourth down, which, we'll, which is what we'll talk about. But like Nathan, again, ifs and buts. But like in that moment, as Chip Trainum's like wiggling, I almost thought it was like the, the Xavier Johnson wiggle run through the Indiana defense of like, oh my gosh, here's like a guy out of nowhere just like literally running through an entire defense on his own. We're talking about making explosive plays for a skill guy. Chip Trainum made an explosive play there. That wasn't supposed to be a 24-yard pickup. He did that all on his own. You think, here Ohio State goes, they're going to get a touchdown and take the lead. And it's a double penalty and it's a 50-yard difference. That I thought was incredibly deflating. Part of that's just football. An offensive lineman got beat and held. And part of it is like, I, I don't know what G. Scott is doing in that moment. And that to me a little bit feels like, like you think that's what the rivalry is. I'm going to headbutt a guy. And that's mm-hmm. not what the rivalry is when it costs your team 15 extra yards. I mean, it's just a catastrophic loss of composure. And I, I don't even know what you go in and say to guys uh after that because it was such a uh, it changed everything about this game in that moment it was funny because steven and i were sitting next to each other in the press box and steven actually thought maybe that would have been was going to be a roughing call because there was some contact there at the point of the throw um the, the hold wasn't as apparent just in in real time but but i had said something like hey what, what's the deal with that flag and and Stephen's like, oh, I think it's roughing. I'm like, no, 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 like all the way down here in the mm-hmm. corner of the field. Like, what's going on? There were two flags. It was just an obvious, just a, just a blatant mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the sort of things that I don't know. I, I I don't. How much do you want to overstate it? It's like, do those things come back to? Because on the one hand, Doug, you know, we're talking after the game about, like, how much do you need to, like, pump these guys up more? And, like, do they understand, like, the significance? And are they are they in the right frame of mind for this game? Um, but then it's like, well, is this a guy that's, like, too keyed up? Like, and, and does this does any of this go back to coaching? Or is this just on the, the shoulders or the, the what's above his shoulders of, of a guy just sort of losing his mind for a second and making a play that has repercussions that change – the college football picture for this year, potentially. The thing is, the game is not over at that point. No, it's not, it's even, not close. even close. Not even. No. And they're in great not even shape. Close to that... over. And Ohio State's actually moving now. They're going somewhere. Yeah, it does. It. But as we've seen time and time again, one little penalty sets the whole drive back, and now the whole drive is off, and it ends up being, you know, two yard, one yard here, and you end up having to punt it away, but. Lost, don't let a play with emotion. Don't let emotion play with you. And it felt like in that moment, because there was a couple of like Kate Stover had an unsportsmanlike penalty in the fourth yep. quarter, too. It seemed like, and you see this sometimes in sports, one team's winning the actual football game, so somebody's trying to win the fight. And the team who was losing tried to start winning the fight, but they did it so early. I don't know why you, you didn't need to do that there. Not to pick on this guy, but it could have been anybody in that moment. Penalties change the game all the time, right? I mean, it's like the late yeah. hit on Troy Smith out of bounds in 06, right? That's like on the sideline. And it's like, 
oh, like you can't do that in that moment. And it's a huge play and it, and it helps steal the game for Ohio State. This kind of stuff happens. Um, before we get to the fourth down, which is important, there's one other thing that I want to talk about. I thought when Ohio State kicks the field goal at the end to stay down eight when they were down 11, mm-hmm. they run a little, they run like a game for, for Cade Stover to come across the entire formation in the red zone. It's a slow developing play. And I think that's a play designed, I think, to beat man coverage because it's like you're kind of you're running Cade Stover through some trash to get from the right side of the field to the left. And you watch it. Mike Samristil, who is one of the best slot corners in the country, he's with the receiver on the top, on the left side of the formation, and he's coming down, but they're not in man. So as Cade Stover comes across to that left side, Sandra still stops and now runs with Cade Stover. CJ puts the ball on Cade Stover's hands, and Sandra still, who knows where the ball is, punches the ball out of Cade Stover's hands on a play that, again, it's a it's a pretty good design. It Cade Stover got caught up a tiny little bit coming across, but there's enough trash in that in the middle of the field, you kind of kind of figure that's going to happen. But if it's pure man, you lose the guy and Cade's going to be, it's, it's kind of, it was almost like a throwback, like a tight end throwback, right? You get everyone going one way and throw back the other way, except the Michigan guy was there to make a play. So now instead of a touchdown and you're only down, then you go for two and you're only down three. Now you're still down eight. And again, like, was that CJ's fault? Was that Cade's fault? Was it the play calls fault? I don't know that it was anyone's fault. Right call by Michigan, great play by a Michigan defensive player. And it's another one. That's a three that could have been a seven easily or been an eight, right? So it's just all these examples. I think we're running through all these little examples. It wasn't like Ohio State. I don't think Ohio State was stymied, Nathan. I don't think Ohio State's offense was awful. I don't think Ohio State's offense was clueless or ineffective or dominated by Michigan. But man, I mean, of course, it's money downs, right? Yeah. It's it's third down, it's red zone, it's don't put yourself behind the sticks with penalties, all those kinds of things. And that's the kind of stuff, and CJ can't overcome that on his own, right? And then when they, and they dropped eight at certain times, they played the right mix of, of, of zone and man at certain times. Marvin had a ball on his hands earlier, right? A little bit of a slant. Mm-hmm. I thought CJ put it on his hands. Marvin mm-hmm. didn't catch it. Well, it's like, okay, Maybe you're the best receiver in the country. It doesn't mean you catch 100% of the balls that hit your hands. Stuff happens. All the little things added up, Nathan. I didn't think it was a I didn't think it was an incompetent offensive performance by Ohio State, but there were a lot of little things that added up. No, I think that's the best way to put it. And just, you know, these games are decided in the margins. Um, you know, Notre Dame came into Ohio Stadium with a pretty good team, but Ohio State won that game in the margins. Um, you could say Ohio State going to Penn State again, very good team, but Ohio State was the one that made the plays in the margins and today. Michigan executed at the most crucial moments. That, that's really what this came down to, and um, and it's just as as much as this that game last year cast a cloud over things for this past year for Ohio State. It's this still just seems like it's going to burn more because last year it wasn't a shock. It was it was shocking because it ended the losing streak. I think it was shocking for fans. But from a football standpoint, I don't think it shocked us that much. And this is 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 more shocking because it seemed like identities that Ohio State had built a year putting together just sort of collapsed around them today. 
Yeah, I just think. All right, Stephen Means is is saving his biggest gripe. We got we got to get to the Means gripe list. We're only like oh, yeah. on number. We're starting at the bottom, right? I think we did like number oh, yeah. fifteen and number fourteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing we a good job, though. We're, we're, in, we're in sync right now, so far. Top thirteen Means gripes coming up yeah. next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug and Nathan and Stephen six one four three five zero three three one five. Hey, hey, I'm more excited. Get the texts. No, we'll be texting. <laughs> we'll still be doing it. All right, Steven, so let's get back to this fourth down situation. So they get behind the sticks. They get in this ridiculous proposition of a first and 35. They they somehow um, – I don't even think like the first play was not like a – not a great play necessarily. They got like four or something, right? I mean, it, it really wasn't much of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, first and 35, they flip it to train them for three. Now it's second and 32, 13-yard pass to Marvin. Now it's third and 19, a check down, 14 yards – to chip again. Now it's fourth and five at the Michigan 43. So they're on Michigan side of the field, fourth and five. CJ Stroud wants to go for it. Ryan Day decides not to go for it. How, Nathan, I know you wrote a story about it, but Steven's hot. How much of a mistake do you think that was, Steven? Terrible mistake. And I, from a football standpoint, I understand why he didn't go for it, except this is the game. And there's a play, this is art to play calling. Some of it is just calling the right plays, but also it's just knowing the feel of the game. We had just watched Michigan on a fourth and one in their own territory go for it, which you need to do when you're not the more talented. Fourth and inches where they basically just like lined up and rammed them, their body into the line. Like it, 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 it's a different situation than fourth and five. It's, It's night and day, but still, the point of the matter is we're at the point in the game where you need to be going for stuff like this. You need some momentum. You need to get this defense back on its heels. And I understand that the penalties, the unsportsmanlike conduct, the holding have put you back in the first and 35, but the last two plays helped you basically erase that between the Harrison catch and the chip train them. But also, <laughs> speaking of penalties, Mason Arnold had an illegal snap penalty on that same exact drive. So the penalties adding up again. But that's a situation where you need to start getting some momentum back. But then also, I think it sends a message a little bit in that moment. And it's a big deal because your quarterback is literally pleading with you in front of a hundred thousand people. Please let's go for this. We need this. And you're just like, no, we're going to play it smart here. We're going to play it safe and we're going to punt the ball. That's what makes it whether, and that, whether that's making a big over over dramatizing it or not, the players wanted to go for it because they knew they needed it in that moment. They needed to get some momentum back. Ryan day, didn't agree. And since he's the one who's making the play calls, that's what matters most here. To be fair, players always want to go for it. Yeah. So like you can't, it's a, it's, a, you can go down with the ship doing what players want to do. Um, I, I do think there's a momentum feel for the game argument about it though. And I will say this, I think, so listen, yes, they needed momentum, but also they're kind of playing Michigan to a draw still at this point. And again, it's Ohio state, um, they, they're down 24, 20 after Michigan, you know, gets that touchdown to the, to the tight end. They, they ran that goofy third and three play, right. That we already talked about. They have to punt. They stop Michigan on a three and out force that they think they're going to get this going with the train them 24 yard gain. And instead they had this weird penalty thing. I think Nathan, that Ryan day in that moment, like just got in the thing of like, let's just get some field position. We just got to gain some yardage so we can punt it back and try to stop them again, like we just did 
They had just right. stopped Michigan and gotten three and, three and out on the previous drive. I think he was not even in the mindset of even thinking about because it's first and thirty-five. Whoever thinks about going for it, what? Hey, coach, what if we get to a fourth and reasonable? He's like, it's first and thirty-five. I'm just trying to make sure we don't wind up in third and forty-two, right? And so then in that moment. And they weren't running super aggressive plays. And Michigan, I thought, was kind of letting them complete some of the stuff they completed. Yeah, yeah, they're trying yeah. to keep everything in front of them. Yeah. So Ryan Day would have had to flip the switch to an aggressive mindset. I almost think in that moment, to go for it, he would have had to call timeout and think about it. Because I don't think he was – I don't even know that he had like his right. fourth down play chart like on that page. Because that's not what you're thinking about. But, Nathan, it's 24-20. It's still a four-point game, and your defense is coming off a stop. Your defense got a three and out the last time. And you're hoping your Australian punter can spin that baby down and pin him inside the five. And you think maybe that's how you're going to flip momentum. Now he hits it around the 10 and it rolls in, which is not great. I, I don't think it's an indefensible decision, Nathan. Could you have gone for it? Listen, Michigan went for it once on fourth down. It was one for one. The point, the one we talked about. Ohio State went for it once on fourth down and didn't get it. The Cade Stover pass we talked about. In the moment, I didn't think to myself, I can't believe they're not going for it. That's, that's no. not where my head was. I'm more open to the idea of they should have gone for it in retrospect for those momentum reasons, but that's a little bit of hindsight because now we know that Michigan puts on an eight play drive, an eight minute drive afterward and takes an 11 point lead. But in that moment down four, Nathan, like, I, I don't know. I thought it could have gone either way, but I didn't think it was a must go. No, I don't think it was a must go either. It's fourth and fourth and five is just so hugely different than even fourth and two. It's it's significantly different as to what play you're calling, how the play has to be protected. Um, the it's it, it's 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 a night and day difference. You you have a much bigger variety of things that you can try to catch a team off guard with and make them guess either way as to what you're doing on fourth and two. You could plausibly run the ball on fourth and two, although I wouldn't. Like I would throw it there, but but fourth and five is is a very different scenario, and I think that was ultimately what Ryan Day was thinking there. And then also, as you point out, even on the first drive of the half where Michigan gets the touchdown, it's still it's still looking kind of fluky because it's not the same guys as we started off this pod talking about. It's not the same breakdowns that are happening. That's the one with the tight end. Um, gets tangled up with Lathan Ransom and breaks free and they get the 45 yard touchdown. I think in their mind that happened. Then the next time they come out and get a three and out and they think they're correcting the problem. It wasn't really until the next series started that Michigan got on that grind. I was talking about where they just start like just, just chipping away those yards and these, these little pieces and go on that eight minute drive. But to that point, Michigan hadn't shown it was going to have that sort of, I, I think you're playing not just something on a sheet somewhere. I think you're playing the way this game is playing out at that point, if you're Ryan Day, if you try to pin them on the punt. Now, could they have done something better on the punt than end up with a touchback? Yeah, possibly. I mean, the, 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 the penalty actually helps them there, in theory. It gives you more room to try to you know pin them on the punt, and it didn't work out. So you only netted 23 yards on the punt, right, or something like that. So that, that makes it look worse, too. But yeah. I think it's a very defensible decision. I really think – I think that the defensive letdown 
that resulted from that and then the ones certainly after that are, are a much bigger problem as to why Ohio State lost this game than this play call was at that moment. So what's so the difference between go, that? Steven, let me okay. let me ask you this, Stephen, because I do think I do think this. I think it is made more stark on that next Michigan drive when Jim Harbaugh and whether it's Sharon Moore or Matt Weiss or Jim Harbaugh, whoever came up with the play and whoever called it there. When Michigan runs a play on third and one where they have a guy who they just converted from linebacker to running back this week, they hand mm-hmm. him the ball, he runs toward the line, and then throws a pass to a wide-open tight end on third and one. Yes. And you think, that's the game. That's the game. Mm-hmm. That's how you win the game. Mm-hmm. And so I do think the conversation around like this Ryan Day decision, I don't think Ryan Day's play calling and decision making – cost Ohio State the game necessarily, but I don't think he did anything special to get Ohio State over the top. When you can point at moments and situations where the Michigan coaches did things, especially with that call, that got Michigan over the top. So I do think that contrast especially makes Michigan, the coaching decisions look better there. Now go ahead. Yeah, that was part of what it didn't cost him, but if we're saying what things offensively cost, it starts with him. Because in the name of feel of the game, you punt that ball back to Michigan. What's a Michigan offensive coordinator now thinking? Oh, this is where we take our shot. Because we're already up 24 to 20, so we can live with it. We can live with it if it doesn't work out. But we're on the road. We have to try to take a kill shot right here. And Michigan took the kill shot, and it worked out. Now, if it hadn't worked out... I think we still would have all had respect in that moment, but they took their shot because now they're up 24 to 20. So they're kind of playing with house money with a chance to go up two scores because Ohio state wasn't aggressive. Now to the point of night and day between fourth and five and fourth and one. Okay. What about the Penn state game where it was fourth and seven and CJ Stroud hit Marvin Harrison? They've done this before. The fourth and long situation has come up in a situation where they absolutely needed it in plus territory. And they went for it. Now, that drive ended up going wild because, you know, that's the end of the half. And they went a little weird when CJ got struck, sacked yeah, and all that. But still, the point. you're losing. And you're in plus territory. It's and a, you've got a team more. You're losing. You're in, in plus territory. The is in your favor if things go wrong. You're losing. You have plus territory. And you've got a defense on its heels because you just hit them for back-to-back plays. So you're already in tempo. No, but, I would say, but, 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 but I would say that Ryan Day in that moment did not feel like he had a defense on its heels. I no. think he fell on its heels because the drive had started at first and 35. They weren't attacking Michigan, I didn't think. I thought they were taking what Michigan was giving them those first they couple were. plays. But I do a, think mindset matters there. You're right. I'm I, not I don't say, think I'm you're not wrong, saying, Steven. I think, I think, I think absolutely yeah. you could think about it the way you're thinking about it. I, I am not. Yeah, I am. I agree that he probably, when it's first and 35, you're not thinking, oh, let's try to get a first down. You're just trying to get some yards back, you know, and get back to breaking even as much as possible. But that's part of being a play caller. Knowing the groove of the game. At some point, you got to notice some of this stuff. And he, he, so I, go ahead. If Ryan Day on fourth and five had called a run to Chip Trainum, and oh. Chip Trainum ran toward the line, stopped, and threw to a wide open Cade Stover, people would have been diving out of the upper deck in excitement. For right? sure. For sure. If, if they went for it and threw a slant to Marvin Harrison Jr. for an eight yard game, for an eight yard game, and after the game, Ryan Day had said, We told ourselves. Anything between fourth and four and fourth and eight in plus Michigan territory, we call that Marv time. 
And we hmm. drilled that for three hours after practice this week. Every possible coverage, we worked leverage. We worked CJ and Marvin are going to look at each other and adjust the route in the moment. But when we have a money down and medium a medium call on a do or die down, we're dying or doing with our best player. And we believe in CJ and Marv. And we told the team, this is how it's going. And that we call that we call it money Marv time. And if Ryan Day had come in and told a story about Money Marv time after their nine-yard completion there, we'd be writing books about it, right? Correct. I don't think either of those two things is off the table. Now, they also could have like just kind of run like a standard plane. It didn't work, and we would have been like, well, now they just gave the ball to Michigan, right? And now mm-hmm. Michigan, because then if Michigan marches and they only have to go 57 yards and oh my gosh yeah you know so so i do think there's an attitude to it i do think there's what you're prepared to do in the moment i do think and i don't i'm not saying it's excusable i feel like because ryan day you can see on tv when g scott had that penalty he was like get him out of the game yeah yeah, of course right of course but also you got to stop you got to stop being mad you're the head coach and you're the play caller which again I, i i don't think we're having that conversation now Sometimes when you're in the game and you're mad and you're the play caller and you're motivating and you're looking at your sheet and, oh, my gosh, that's a lot to do. And if you're just instead telling Kevin Wilson, whatever, I'm not saying that Ryan Day should stop calling plays. I think but it's Nathan, it's, it, So, well, we have plenty of time. we got yeah, a whole offseason. Of course. So, Nathan, again, like I, I could see it, right? Money Marv time. Who's writing that story? We're fighting to write that story. Money Marv time. But – it also could have worked out this way. The punt went in the end zone, and then Michigan started running the ball. I do think the point of, like, up until that moment, Michigan's entire offense had been big plays. They're up mm-hmm. 24-0. The three touchdowns are three big pass plays. So Ryan Day is not thinking to himself in that moment, we're getting steamrolled, I can't trust my defense. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If he's thinking, I can't trust my defense, I think he's thinking, I can trust my defense. As long as we... Don't you know? As long as we don't give up big plays, he did not see a march coming. And to Michigan's credit, they marched. They marched in part because they took a risk on a play, and then Ohio State made a bad made a bad play in the end zone. We'll talk about. I think we'll debate this play. I, we'll talk about it forever, right? Ohio State, by the way, in the rivalry, has never lost a game like this. They never lost a game where in the last game of the season they were both undefeated. Previously, mm-hmm. they Ohio State won two and they tied one, and they had never lost a game when they were all in the top three. Ohio State had won them all before. So Ohio State had ne- has never lost a game like this in the rivalry, Nathan. So we're going to be talking about it for a long time. I'm short of not going it on fourth down was a surrender that cost them the game. I'm sure I'm not there. Right. It feels like, and but, it feels like most of the fan base is, is feeling like you conceded in that moment. And I'm not to that extreme, but I can understand how fans got there because of everything I, that followed. And I understand the confidence that C.J. Stroud has in himself in that moment to want the ball. I understand it. But it's Ryan Day's job, as Doug, you're alluding to, to not make the emotional choice. I think the emotional choice there is to go for it. I think the uh, calculated uh, emotionless choice to make is to not go for it. I mean, the, the compare, it is incomp- it's incomparable to what happened in the Penn State game when there was only 18 seconds left in the first half. And the opportunity for Penn State to have turned that into something 
um, was small. Here you have an eternity left in this game. There's six minutes left in the third quarter when they punt it, and you're only down by four. You have so much football ahead of you to only be down by four at home. It's a completely defensible call. And if it's and, and, and to compare it even to the third and one that Michigan did later, the, the reason that play worked for Michigan is because it's third and one, and you could sell that play as a run that then gets popped over the top. Ohio State had many, much less options as to what it could do on fourth and five. Like, I understand it's, it was a pivotal moment in this game because partially of what Michigan then went and did with it when it got the ball back. And I, I think that to say that this was some kind of a um, – this is like Ryan Day curling up into a ball. I, I don't think that. I think this is just a calculated football play at a very normal juncture of the game. Except we've all had our moments talking about how this all-state offense just has a lot of plays in it that are just easy 10 yards. Easy. That would have been a time to pull that out. Well, I mean, some of that's like it's an easy 10 yards when they're playing off coverage in the first quarter and they're yeah. making sure they don't want to get beat and that kind of thing. Um, I, I do think there's a world where you go to your best player there, which is the Marvin Harrison Jr. discussion. I do think there's a world where this is the play that you have not run all year. And you've been putting things on film all year yeah. that show your tendencies are something else. And now you do the opposite in this moment because you're Ryan Day and you've said mm-hmm. – we might need it's almost like your two point play, right? Like this is our this is our do or die play. But and you know, like I do think again, I think I think there's a there's I think some people would have tried to do that in that moment. But I think I agree with everything you're saying there with like six minutes left in the fourth quarter. It's just it's six minutes left in the third quarter and you're only down by four at home. I, I don't – this just didn't seem the, – the, the, the way Ryan Day described what we said, I didn't feel like we were that desperate at that time. And I think I agree with that. I don't think they were desperate. They they were only – I don't – I agree. I agree. I, I don't think they were desperate either. I didn't feel like they were reeling. I didn't feel like they felt like, oh, nothing we're doing is working. We have to no. try this now. I, I don't you know, even approach but, it that way. I don't think it's a – you're doing it out of desperation. I think you're doing it because you're being – ultra aggressive in trying to win a football game. And it's one of those things. I mean, it's easy to say that like ultra aggressive is the best way to win a football game. And that's not always true. And again, if they had gone for it, not made it. And then they gave up a touchdown drive. People would be saying, why did you go for it? I didn't get, but I do think didn't even say like if it was fourth and two, he might've gone for it. Right. And then you mm-hmm. start, you do start splicing it. Cause to your point, Nathan, they're not going to run it anyway. Right. And so they're not going to really try to get two and a half yards. If it's fourth and two, they're probably going to try to get seven. So I'm not a, a thousand. Now the defense is going to play you differently. They are have to respect the run more on fourth and two than on fourth and five. But I do think so. I do think probably there's a lot of people disagreeing with us. Some might be agreeing with us here. I think there's a lot of people that are more probably along lines with Steven. I think we've covered. Oh, the one other play in the list of plays that I thought were bad. The third down play where they tried to flip the little bubble like with motion to by Xavier Johnson in and then back out. And they had two blockers on the yeah. edge. And that got swatted. I can't believe that that didn't get swatted sometimes in practice. Like I thought that was I thought that was a little loose of like, oh no, that guy's blocked, it's fine. And then it's swatted and you're dead. I thought like add that to the list of like, well, there's a drive. Like I thought that felt I thought that felt blasé almost of like, hey, how are we going to pick up this third and three? It's like, I just flip it to Xavier. We'll get two blocks on the edge. And it's like, yeah, but what if the end is in the passing lane? And it's like, eh, 
it won't be in the passing lanes. Like, no, but he was. I thought I thought that was loose. So again, like add that like play number seven or eight that's like, hey, well, if he doesn't swap that. So uh, Ryan Day discussion. We need to have a Ryan Day discussion because people want to have a Ryan Day discussion. We have a couple survey questions about it. We'll do it next. I think this is a third break, but it's the game and it's long. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Nathan and Steven back. So I Okay, there's two questions I want to ask that I think are are bigger parts of there's three questions that were not rating scales. I talked about the rating scales, right? That we got those earlier. When I when I the Ryan Day question, like the hot seat question of Ryan Day, when the first like 50 votes came in, it was hot. Because the people who are not happy with Ryan Day voted the fastest. And then it started to cool slightly. Uh, we are still getting votes on this. It's like, what is your hot seat rating for Ryan Day? Ten as you have real questions about him as Ohio State's head coach. And a Michigan loss next year could be the last straw. One is you believe he is the right guy and this was just a rough day. That's a 6.55 as we sit here at the moment. There are 20% of the people who are voting a 10. Though, so twenty percent of the people are like, "If that guy does this one more time, I'm out." So, Stephen, I think we'll start with you again because we did a video about this after the game. You had some some strong feelings on this. I, yeah. I do think that we we just and I think people will will back off a little bit in the coming mm-hmm. days. Woody started one and two against Michigan, and he wound up okay. John Cooper was zero and three. Um, Ryan Day, this is where I am on this. Ryan Day in. His second year as the offensive coordinator in 2018, and then 2019, his first year as a head coach, their offense, the Ohio State offense, has dominated Michigan. Yeah. And it was like, this guy has solved Michigan. He got Don Brown fired. Like, Michigan was like, we can't stop this guy. Ohio State's going to be a receiver and quarterback factory. It's going to keep them winning the game and contending for national titles into the foreseeable future. Uh, and now here we are. And, and I think in that moment, we gave Ryan Day credit, especially in 18 and 19, and to some extent in 17, for out-coaching Michigan. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that we knew about Ryan Day, Stephen. He out-coached Michigan. And I do think the last two years, he has been out-coached by Michigan. Jim mm-hmm. Harbaugh has gotten the better of Ryan Day. Now, I think in order to have a smart and reasonable conversation like about this topic – like we j- and this is just for the fans too and just you and your friends and your family talk about this you just sort of have to take like the fire i see people with twitter handles who have changed their twitter handle to fire ryan yeah. day like you can't fire a guy four years in because he's one and two against his rival and he's lost like five games in four years like it's just you just undercut everything else you say after that and there are reasonable things to question and criticize and say need to be improved so like, he's not getting fired tomorrow. Like, that's just not even a, a reasonable thing to discuss. But almost everything else is reasonable. So, Stephen, why don't you start us off? Where are you with the Ryan Day discussion? I said it in the video. Um, the seat is not hot. But I do think the heat, the little space heater, has at least been turned on. Because, yes, he has five losses. But, okay, Clemson, Whatever controversial, whatever, fine, that's a quality loss. You get blown out by Alabama in the national championship game, cool, whatever, half of your team's got COVID, whatever. But the point is, the offense was not what it should have been that day, along with we knew the defense was bad. 
You lose to Oregon at home, and then you've lost your last two games to Michigan. His losses are to quality teams. He's he's winning the games he's supposed to win, but he's not winning the big ones that win you national championships and win you Big Ten championships. Those games matter as well. And I understand Woody started one and two in the rivalry. I understand John Cooper was 0-3 in the rivalry to start off with. I understand all of that. But like I said on the preview part when we had this conversation, they were not following a raised standard in the rivalry. Ryan Day is following a head coach who went 9-1 and and another one who went 7-0. and The expectation has changed. So, so let me th- whose expectation? The fans or like the powers who control Ryan Day's I pictures? would think both. I, I honestly would think both. Gene Smith was in there today. And he looked a little intrigued on his face. And now that's, I'm not going to yeah, read no, too no, much no, in. I'm not going to no, read no. way too many. So, but he so, was in there today. He was on the sideline during the game, in the listen, second half of the game. Gene I Smith was both. in the post-game news conference, and he's typically not. Yes. That is a fact. Gene Smith, the reason Gene Smith is there in that moment is to support Ryan Day. It is not, yes. It's not, yeah, like, I know. It's it's not there to be like, hey, you should be – no, of course not. But it's just the fact that he's typically not in there. But I don't think Ryan Day can lose three games in a row. So I, I do think that I think it's an unfair way to look at it that that if the question is, can Ryan Day lose three times in a row to Michigan? It's like, well, he hasn't lost three times in a row to Michigan. So if you're every time you have a conversation about somebody losing, it's like, well, he can't lose again. It's like, well, he hasn't lost again. So maybe we can save that conversation if and when that happens. Um, like so this. I, I do I'll think say like that to then. constantly be a year ahead. Because like there were some people who were like, oh well, if he loses, it's like, well, he didn't. Well, now he did. No. Now he lost two in a row to Michigan. And Michigan hasn't won two in a row against Ohio State in a million years. So, I think also, we have to keep the conversation on what is, as opposed to what might be. Because it's like, well, what if he goes four and eight next year? It's like, well, we're not having a conversation about right. what might happen to him if he goes four and eight next year because he hasn't gone four and eight next year. So I I don't know that like the what if he loses to Michigan conversation is that really different than that. I don't know. It, it's because these last two losses haven't been like they were emphatic losses. So I think that's part. If if to take if to t- let's just say last year's and this year's losses were like the 2016 game where it comes down to double overtime and one thing goes differently, the game is different. No, Ohio State just lost both of those games, and it's very clear that they lost both of those games. And so that's why I think. In most situations, I would think you are right. You can't look forward because it hasn't happened yet. But we're now dealing in a world where Michigan is a better program than Ohio State the last two years. And so is that how everybody's going to fear coming into a game that's also in Ann Arbor where you've got a brand-new starting quarterback next year? Is that everyone's going to be on alert that what if Michigan does this again? This is not, I don't, the buildup is not going to be like it was this time where it's this, oh, Ohio State spent the last year in a bunker, you know, listening to everything everybody had to say, and now they're ready to go get their revenge. It's going to be, or uh, is, is, is Ohio State going to lose again? Uh, uh, are we back in the 90s? Is the John Cooper era back? It's a different type of buildup. And so that's why I think you can, you should talk about it a little bit. Ryan Day losing three in a row, but even worse, Ryan Day losing three in a row where they look like the last two. Nathan, where are you with the Ryan Day conversation? So uh, would probably surprise no one to for, that I would say that you you have to have that perspective that you've talked about, Doug, as 
Ryan Day has now played three Michigan teams in top 10. Two of them are top five teams. I know that Ohio State had beaten Michigan a bunch of years in a row. But if, you, if you're if you willfully ignoring that perspective of it and what that means, I think uh, – I am I know fans are emotional, but I, I don't know how you discount that completely. Now, having said that, Ryan Day took over the best program in the Big Ten – and now that program is chasing its rival. Like Michigan is the best football program in the Big Ten right now. They've beaten Ohio State 85 to 50 the last two years, including going into their home and smacking them around today. Ryan Day is the one now that has to chase Jim Harbaugh down and try to pass him again and 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 prove he can beat him again. Uh, that's an uncomfortable place for this program to be. And uh, I'm curious how the vibe changes a little bit uh, around this team and around this program and the way they talk about things, or if it does as, as a result of that, because we've talked so much in the past about the ways that Ryan Day, even when this program was clearly a behemoth, he would try to take these little slights and these little uh, things that were just kind of dangling out there and try to manipulate them into some kind of motivation for his team. Well, now like you've, you got like, you're in a prove it situation. We don't know again, what's going to happen with the playoff. This might be a very different discussion in short order because of just, this is a weird year in college football. And like, People are just falling backwards into the playoff spots, maybe. But it might not be. It might be, again, like a, a, a Rose Bowl that they have to kind of grit their teeth and smile through. And then another year of waiting to try to get back on the field and prove that th- this gap isn't uh, semi, not permanent, but that, that that they can close the gap on Michigan. That's what they have to They are in a position now where they have to close the gap on Michigan. And that was something that was certainly – Four years ago when I started in this job, or 2020, when that game was canceled and Ohio State school into the playoff, like that's not a phrase I think is coming out of my mouth in the short term, but two years later, here we are. And the two guys who propelled this victory for Michigan on Saturday are both back next year and better. Yes. If you thought Donovan Edwards and J.J. McCarthy were good Saturday, wait till you see him a year from now in Ann Arbor. So I do think when you start talking about, like, is a guy in a hot seat, right? The question I would have is, do people believe there is something fundamentally wrong with the program, that there is a shortcoming that exists, and that that is something that is unlikely to be overcome? And so I do think, again, the the, the difference between, um, you know, two ten and one in the rivalry and one and two is like, what's the dividing line of how long a coach should get? Well, it's probably between two ten and one and one and two. As we said, I, Ryan Day is not going to get to be two ten and one. You're not going to get thirteen years of failure against Michigan. But I also think you get more than two losses against Michigan before all of a sudden, you know, the program's on fire. Last year there were clear changes to make, right? It's like, well, we all knew. Even I think before the Michigan game, we kind of knew they were going to have a new defensive coordinator. Then that sealed it. And it, they they turned over the entire defensive staff other than Larry Johnson. We also probably had a pretty decent idea they were going to new, get a new offensive line coach. I don't know that there are obvious things like that. Um, is there a different style that Jim Knowles maybe should apply? I don't know. We had an entire year-long toughness conversation, and then we got to the Michigan game, and they were playing a – a should-be linebacker is their main running back. That's just weird. I don't know if we like answered the toughness conversation or not. They are going to have a new quarterback next year. I, like I don't. On one hand, I don't think there are fundamental problems 
with the Ohio State program. But on the other hand, Stephen, I think it. I think I have a little bit of thing of like, well, I don't know. Maybe just like this Ryan Day way of doing business is going to have a hard time beating Michigan when Michigan's good. Like the whole Kings of the North thing, that it's a it's a style and an offense designed to go out in the world, but it's not as good as defending your backyard. I, I do think that's a reasonable sort of fundamental question, not to have ingrained, but to maybe start asking a little bit. I don't, and maybe that's worth exploring, What's the if there is a fundamental thing wrong with their te- this, te- this program, what is it? Because... You just said it. They made the wholesale changes last year. He's not going to make wholesale changes again this year. Now, maybe Larry Johnson finally decides that he is done you know, with the workforce, and so you replace him. But that's more his decision than anything else. You're not. It, it's not going to be wholesale changes. You did that already. You got your chance to go. It's the middle manager's fault. So, okay. And so what – and Gene, Gene Smith opened up the checkbook and got him the best middle managers that money could buy. A $2 million defensive coordinator, and it still didn't work. So when it's not the middle managers, and every year at 247 Sports puts out a composite ranking, Ohio State's consistently in the top three, so it's not personnel. It's not. It can't be coaching because you just fixed that. So now you look at the head. That's when it becomes fundamental. I think to some degree in the Urban Meyer era, the fundamental problem was they kept losing games they weren't supposed to be losing. Right now, off hit, at 11 o'clock at night, fresh off this game and not really getting a chance to go look at it or review anything. The fundamental thing is Ryan Day doesn't win the games that actually take some work to win. And that's not cutting it either. So it is interesting that that's where the point Jim Trestle got to. Yeah. That after Jim Trestle won the national title in 2002, that's where he got to that. The big 10 was bad. Now the difference is he dominated Michigan and it helped. Now, 06 was one versus two, and Trust wins that game. But oh after God. that, it's oh. huge. But then Michigan wasn't as good. But losing to Florida in 06, losing to LSU in 07, losing to USC in the regular season in 08, losing to US and losing to Texas in the Fiesta Bowl in 08, losing to USC in the regular season in 09. It's all those things of like, well, like in equal talent games, what is what is happening to get Ohio State over the top? That's kind of where we are, I think, again, with big games. Listen, they did it against Clemson, right? They did against Clemson the second time around. That was great. And you you can't only call it a big game when you lose. That's not fair, mm-hmm. right? That they've they've had some other good wins here. You know, you go to Happy Valley and you beat Penn State, and Penn State's like ten and two. And so the idea of like, well, they can't yeah. beat anybody good. It's like, okay, well, I mean, I don't know. They they scored twenty eight points against like the eleventh best team in the country on the road in the final nine minutes to win that game. So like that doesn't mm-hmm. count. But I, I I do think Nathan, it's th- this is a question that I asked. And I know we're going long. You guys know this. We're just we're going to break all this down. I'm, I'm trying to keep it about the game and not go too big picture. But there's a couple big picture things here. I asked this question, Nathan. What is Ohio State's bigger problem against Michigan right now? Is it external things like scheme, play calling, lack of talent at certain positions? Or is it internal things? Rivalry, fire, toughness, focus, etc. It was 69% in the vote external things, 31% internal things we had talked on one of the pods this week nathan about like hey have jim trestle and urban meyer and troy smith and zach boren come in and talk to the team during michigan week because there's not as many obvious external things it's like your dbs have have to play the ball better in the air whatever okay i'm not saying that they handle the rivalry wrong but they've lost the last two years and so maybe they need to change up like 
rivalry prep. I don't know if that means take the countdown clock out. I don't know if that means give Jim Trestle. I think Jim Trestle's retiring. I didn't even know that. Is he retiring as yeah. Youngstown State president? Yeah, it's been out there. Good for him. Give Jim Tre- Jim Trestle had an office for Coop and an office for Earl. You can give Jim Trestle an office and make him the honorary Michigan coach 365 days a year. I don't know. Like, Nathan, like, would that be a thing? What do you think? Do you think against Michigan? Is it more external things that have failed them? And I think last year it's external, right? Well, we can't block Aiden Hutchinson and we can't make fit the run defensively. But this game, external or internal? No, I still t- I still say external. I mean, it, it's certainly if you're lumping both seasons together, it, it's it's clearly external. And and still, even this year, again, I I understand what Stephen throwing the the recruiting ranking thing out there and saying that personnel can't be the problem, but it can be in a more or less talent equated matchup when you have big deficiencies at certain places and the other team can exploit it. And that's what Michigan did today. I just I I keep thinking back through this and I'm just seeing execution. Uh, Michigan out executing Ohio State in a lot of one-on-one situations, in 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 schematic choices, in some play calling, as we've talked about before. I mean, it, I think it's both coaching and personnel, but it's just a matter of better execution by Michigan won both of these games. I don't think you need um, pageantry, and I mean, we've we've had so many discussions with these guys about how much this, how much they've been eating and breathing this game. And I don't think anybody, especially when they saw what the stakes of it were last year. I mean, they were the number two team in the playoff rankings before they lost that game last year. So it wasn't just losing the rivalry. It was losing your chance to get on that field, potentially with Georgia, and prove that you should win the national championship last year. All of that was taken from them. I think they knew what the stakes were. I think they knew what it meant to this state and this fan base to to win this game and to avenge that loss. And I think they wanted all those things. But Michigan just beat them. I think... Urban, uh, we kind of had this discussion. Urban, the shadow of Urban is not there, but it kind of is because there are some philosophies and tactics that are still Urban Meyerish. I think Ryan Day needs to find his own way to approach the rivalry, um, because Jim Harbaugh the last two years has kind of reset his approach to it. Now, granted, his team, the talent on his team has gotten better, so he's been able to do this. I mean, you got guys like Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo and JJ McCarthy, but. He built his teams in a way that they're they're built to stop whatever they're built to attack whatever Ohio State's bad at that year. Last year, punch him in the mouth, punch him in the mouth, down the throat, down the throat, run game, run game, run game, run game. This year, they threw it all over him. And no, but they didn't. I mean, they didn't throw the whole year, and then their running back was hurt. I don't know. I don't know if this was brilliant strategy or they didn't have a little, choice. I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, they still. The whole I think point they, is Michigan yeah, has an identity. Uh, yeah, I, I think mean, we they, can't say that the point is Michigan has an identity that's opposite Ohio State's. Ohio State throws it, Michigan runs it, and then say that Michigan was genius. No, 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 for, no, no. That's not what I'm, 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 no, I'm, I'm saying. They maximize a, a, a circumstance in this situation, but it does feel like Michigan knows how to attack Ohio State. And Jim Harbaugh said as much last summer at Big Ten Media Days. Our team is built to stop to beat Ohio State. And it feels like for two years in a row, he's built a team together that's built to beat Ohio State. Now, I'm not saying Ryan Day should adopt the Jim Harbaugh way of doing things, because that's, that's a ridiculous thing to say, that you should adopt your rival's approach. But I just think Ryan Day needs to he, still keep throwing your own imprint on some of this stuff. Because maybe the 365... You know, 
Michigan abs, all this stuff around the, as you mentioned, the, the countdown clock, all of this stuff that Urban Meyer introduced, it's not working for you. A lot of it was trestle too. So, I mean, listen, so, so there's an internal, so let, let me ask you this. I think they should have, I think they should have people come in next week, next year during Michigan week. I think that I should, they should have somebody who was born and raised and participated in the rivalry come in and talk about it. I think they should do that. What if we walked into the Woody the next time we were in the Woody? What if there was nothing but white walls? All the sayings were gone. All the pictures were gone. All the NFL stuff was gone. All the Michigan stuff was gone. Everything was painted over. And the only thing it said on the wall, like in handwritten thing, it just said work. And we said, what's up? And Ryan Day said, we don't care about anything. We just care about work. And we said, what about four to six A to B? What about competitive stamina? And Ryan Day just said, all we care about is work. What about the countdown clock? All we care about is work. What are you going to do to beat Michigan next year? All we care about is work, right? I'm not saying do that, Nathan. But like, what if he did, what if you, what if you tore it down to the studs? Not strategy, not staff, not personnel, but everything else, right? We're going to earn, we're, we're back to square one. And we will earn everything else that decorates this place. But right now, all that matters is work against anybody, right? Would we be like, you're crazy? Or would we be like, whoa, dude's serious about the rivalry? You know what I'm saying? Like, Nathan, like that kind of thing. You called it sort of like pageantry or whatever. I don't know. Like, But like, does that matter? Is that like a ridiculous conversation? Or what if Ryan Day, to the point Stephen's saying, like, get rid of everything from before that's any kind of remnant of anybody else. This is the beginning of the new Ohio State. And the new Ohio State is about one, th- you know, whatever he would do. Crazy or like, would it send a message? Oh, I don't think it's crazy at all. It's what I was alluding to before. Like the vibe has to change. The, the dynamic has to change a little bit because you can't, you're not defending anything anymore. You're defending nothing. You haven't won a conference championship. You haven't even won a divisional championship in two years. You're right now standing here in a situation where you're on the outside of the playoffs again, looking in. You have nothing to defend. You have, I guess, you know, the pride of your program. But in terms of like tangible things, you have nothing to defend. You have to change the the kind of the message to be that you are on the hunt again. You are the one that's chasing something. I don't think that means that you're weak. It just means that you recognize that the other guys have the thing you want. You have to go get it. And maybe that was the one little wrinkle of the message that wasn't completely there for the past year. I don't as you're saying, like I don't think it's a matter that they weren't working this past year, but I think you have to change the mindset to be uh, that uh, you know they're not on top anymore, and you can't just you can't just say a thing anymore and have it be true. You have to go get it. You have to go take it back because someone has taken it from you now in an emphatic way two years in a row. It's almost like putting a black strap on the whole program. You know, it's like when they bring in the true freshman, when you for five star, four star, it doesn't matter what you are. You're not a Buckeye yet. You got to earn it. And then when you earn it, like it, then you get that scarlet stripe on your on your helmet. But until then, you're a black stripe, and we're going to let everybody see that you are not one of us yet. Maybe that's what this program – you're not what the Ohio State program has been. You're not one of us yet. You haven't beaten Michigan. You haven't won a Big Ten title. You haven't done any of these things. You don't deserve to be a part. You go earn that. 
And you earn that by whether it's white walls with the work, like you said, or black, whatever it is, you earn these colors. And next year you spend it earning it. And it's a year long black stripe and you don't lose it till you beat Michigan. That's it's what if goal- there's like a, f- good. What if there's like a, a 400 foot, like black stripe across the top of the Woody <laughs> from like one end to the other. They got rules. They have a ceremony and yeah, they have rules. Like media, you're not allowed in. Pulls it off. Media are not allowed in here if you're not wearing all black. We are an all black at all times in this building. Thank you very much. And listen, I mean, like, I'm just like we're wondering, right? Would it? Would that? Would that be a thing? Would that? Would that send a message? I do think so. Do do they need a message sent? Something like that. That that changes. Is it time for change? Is it time? Yeah, yeah. We're joking. Sometimes it is. Whatever it is, you need to kind of press a reset button and break and just tear it all down and start from square, square one. And it feels like that's where we're at now that you've lost two in a row like this. So a couple other poll questions here, and this is, we're going to get into do a bigger conversation in, in this week. I promise we'll do this. Um, how confident are you that Ohio state will beat Michigan next year and avoid a three game losing streak? This is these were the choices. Not at all confident. I think the rivalry has flipped Michigan's way. Not very confident. Ohio State can do it, but I'm worried. Slightly confident, which is the middle. Somewhat confident. Michigan has shown it's good, but I think the Buckeyes will bounce back. Or very confident. Ohio State is the better program with better players. I will just tell you that not very confident, which was the second worst got 53%. Not at all confident. I think the rivalry has flipped 21%. Very confident. Ohio State is the better program with better players, 4%. So 74% picked the two worst and 16% picked the two best. That is a shaken group of texters, Nathan Baird. Yeah. I don't really even know how you would necessarily vote for saying Ohio State is the better program right now, though. Like it's 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 head to head two years in a row, and it wasn't close. So I I it's it's a weird way. Like I I don't think you could vote for that. I don't know if I go all the way to where people are like, no, and this thing is flipped because again, it's just when the top when two of the best five teams in the country play, this happens sometimes. And um, I think I'm just I'm looking forward to a world in college football where, um, you know, the, the one game doesn't necessarily define a season like this and you can live to fight another day. Yeah, but two well, games. Of the, this is not this happens sometimes when you get blown out two years in a row. Well, no, That's I said that earlier. Again, I'm just I, saying I, but, I just and again, I think like th- this is still the game. It's always going to hurt. I don't. It's going to be different. It is going yeah, to be no, different. No. What I'm saying right. is this is never going to be acceptable. No, no, no. Yeah. I, 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 if, if I were voting in this, I would have probably put the not very confident where OSU can do it, but I'm worried. I'm, I understand the people who think it's flipped because of what the final scores were the last two years. Yeah. I, I don't think Ohio State got blown off the field today. Again, the last seven minutes, they're trying to sell out defensively to do some stuff, and they had a bad run fit, and the guy's out the gate, right? I mean, I, it's not an excuse, but – it's not like it was a 30-point game the whole game. Um, I, I do think that it was that far that way and that that many people think it has flipped. I found, even at 20%, I, I thought was was more than I expected. But again, it's hot right after a game, and I understand that. That's a, a normal reaction for a fan. This is the last 
poll question. What is the most likely near future of the rivalry? So whatever that means to you. It's even. A second 10-year war is brewing. Michigan will take control or Ohio State will get it back and be in control. 68% it's even. A second 10-year war is brewing. Michigan in control, 21%. Ohio State in control, 11%. Uh, We had had this discussion and this is what we will have a future tech survey in a future pod in the next couple days about this topic. Whether we think a second tenure war is brewing and what Ohio State fans would think of that. But Nathan, on first blush, that that's like 70% of the people think we're kind of back to even in the rivalry. What, what do we think of that? And what do we what do we think that means, if it's true? No, that's that's more what I was alluding to. That when, you know, this is sometimes what happens when it's two of the best teams in the country and the other one can get the best of the other one once in a while. But I, I think that's probably a good way to look at it. That after a period of Michigan uh, dormancy and Ohio State, um, to its credit, you know, taking advantage of that and really burying them um, in several of those years. But this is equated now more. And, um, you know, I. I, I think Ohio State can go into Ann Arbor next year and win, not knowing a lot of the specifics about those teams necessarily yet. That wouldn't shock me at all. I just think that we're going to – we've entered an era now where um, you can't take anything for granted in this rivalry now, which I think is awesome as just a football fan and as someone who follows the Big Ten and follows the National. I just think this is this is a good thing for college football that's gotten to this. I know it's painful for Ohio State fans tonight, and that's who we're most concerned about, those of you who are listening. Yeah, but The good for college football discussion is like that's like three weeks from now mm-hmm. because like Bama's not going to make the playoffs, Clemson's not going to make the playoff, and Ohio State's probably not going to make the playoff. Like this is what everybody has been waiting for, like – like a new world where it's not the same teams over and over. That is not what anybody listening to this podcast cares about tonight. As a reminder, Michigan, Georgia, and TC were undefeated. USC and Ohio State each have one loss. Those are the five teams in college football. That's the situation. Clemson lost to South Carolina on Saturday. LSU, that like if LSU, hey, they had to, they could go beat Georgia and make the playoff. They lost to Texas A&M, right? People are losing all over the place, man. Like that part of it, the fact that you lose, that's college football. The fact that Ohio State lost to Michigan for the second year in a row, that's not that's not the reality that any of our listeners have lived um, for a very, very long time. So we have, we have a lot to break down in the future. We will continue to do that. We will continue to solicit your input. We were besieged with texts. I have not gone through them. I know at one point, like we can see the number of responses we get to a single text and it's not necessarily a response, but just the number of texts that have come in since we sent a text. And usually it's like, sometimes it's eight or 17 or 53. Or if I send a call out for rants, it gets to a hundred or 150 or 170. It was like 350 at one point in the game today. So like we understand and we're, we want to be the place for you guys where you can come and express your opinions as a texter. We'll read them. We'll read them. We won't be able to reread them all here, but we'll look through them. We'll get the vibes from you guys. Those vibes will influence how we think. We'll send out surveys. We'll continue to ask questions about this. We'll continue to continue to write about this team at cleveland.com slash OSU. Continue to text about this team. Continue to talk about this team on Buckeye Talk five times a week for the, for the foreseeable future. And and I think, I think uh, TCU is at the point where 
the way Ohio State lost, I think if TCU loses to Kansas State, I assume it's Kansas State. The Kansas yeah, State Kansas beat Kansas. State Kansas yeah. mm-hmm. If Kansas State beats TCU, I think it's possible. I think TCU would still get in ahead of Ohio State. If USC loses to Utah, and that's the team that they already lost to. That's who they're now. Oregon lost to Oregon State. So it's going to be Utah, USC in the Pac-12 championship. If USC loses to Utah next week, I think Ohio State might make the playoff. Because like there's kind of nobody else. Yep. And it would be Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and then they would look around and say, who's the fourth best team? And the only Power 5 team with one loss in the discussion would be Ohio State. Or they would have to take someone with two losses, and someone with two losses has never made the playoff. And this is the ninth year of the playoff. So they could do something that has never happened before, or they could take a one-loss traditional power whose only loss is to another team in the playoff. Yeah, it would have to be a two-loss non-conference champion, which is non-champ. We were talking you know, about it with right. LSU happening if they won the SEC, but that that seemed this would seem like a a tougher fit. I, I, the one thing with with USC is, I suppose, if the, if it was, I mean, they lost by one point to Utah the first time they played. But I agree on TCU. If they lose to Kansas State, I think the committee is hesitant to hold it against you that you won and went to a conference championship game and then lost to a really good team. Like you, you won your way to an extra game. And now we're going to hold that against you that you lost against a good team. I think they would, they would pick TCU over USC or Ohio state there. You know, what's the one unfortunate thing about this, and there's no way around it because even when we lose divisions, Ohio state and Michigan are going to play each other. If this game were happening next week, it wouldn't have mattered who won this game. They'd both be in because it'd be no different than Alabama and Georgia last year. That's probably right. If this was a championship game, and between if they two were and three divisions, and between two and three, given the way the season has shaken out, yeah, and that you might be searching, would they both make it regardless? I think maybe in a world where like USC is a one-loss Pac-12 champ, TCU is an undefeated champ, and Georgia's in, I th- I think the loser wouldn't be in for sure, but they would be in a better position because they would have the idea of making a conference championship game on their resume. But the bottom line is like, this feels like doomsday for Ohio state football. And in eight days, they might be in the playoff and getting ready to play Georgia and Atlanta as the four seed. And it's like, I don't know. Is Stetson Bennett as good as JJ McCarthy? They can beat Georgia. We were saying it's like TCU, Michigan. I think Michigan could beat TCU. And then we'll have an Ohio state, Michigan is, national championship game in the Big Ten's no, new home in Los no. Angeles. No, no, this is my favorite thing. It's it's Ohio State in Atlanta trying to beat Georgia for the right to go to Los Angeles, which will soon be Big Ten country, to play Michigan for the national championship. Actually, you know what? We need that. We need that for the stories. What better yeah. way to bring Los yeah, Angeles into the Big Ten we, than to have Ohio State beat Michigan that. for the national championship? Yeah. There's like 10,000 people or more listening to this podcast who have had a hole blown in their soul. And Steve was like, yeah, I'd take Ohio State, Michigan, the national title game because I could use the clicks. Like, well, I mean, yes, that's great. That's not really our first concern here. My heart is, upset my heart is hurting right now, Steven, and you don't care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we understand it's not just the three of us talking here. But this yeah, is yeah, of Ohio course. State fans who listen to this and they're very sad right now. Um, that would be a fascinating thing because I, I – provided the theory earlier this week that this might be the last best game, the last time that like the game is of this magnitude and this import. And then it's like, Oh no, it's fine. Ohio state lost. and They made it anyway. It was fine. 
So like maybe it's already done. And again, the idea of maybe you should be allowed to lose and still advance because people lose sometimes. I do think it is almost, it's the same thing, Nathan, but it's a completely different conversation. Like I think for playoff consideration, Ohio State should be able to lose to Michigan because they're a top three team Mm -hmm. and still have playoff hopes. But when it comes to the rivalry, Ohio State fans are like never right. going to accept a loss to Michigan. No, no, so no. And I'm, I, I'm, we can understand those yeah. are two different things. Yes, but it's gonna start getting a little weird. Which is why, if this is it, if this ends Ohio State season other than a bowl game and they don't make the playoff, then this potentially would be the last best game because we're going to enter a world where the twelve team playoff is coming in two years, and if in the twelve team playoff we would be having the same rivalry discussion. And then we'd be like, all right, what do you think Ohio State is? Like the six, right? And we'd go right to that. And that doesn't erase the pain of a rivalry loss, but it certainly distracts you from it a little bit. Because it's like, all right, well, now they're getting ready. They got to go play on the road or whatever. They're going to host a playoff game in three weeks or whatever. We think they're going to host, you know, Oregon State. Okay, let's get ready for that. It's just going to be a different world. So this might be the last time that Ohio State fans are feeling exactly this way that this game was this important both for the rivalry and for the bigger picture and that the loss was this difficult because it just it it's changing and as we've talked about the divisions like the, the lack of where it's you get the immediate rematch like that's the finality of this rivalry game the finality of the game will soon be a thing of the past and it may it, we may already be in that future we'll find out in eight days yeah <laughs> okay that was a long post-game pod. We'll have a lot of things coming up this week. Go read cleveland.com slash OSU. For now, we hope that, I don't know, helped. Just like while we all talk it out together. If there are things that you think we are wrong on, that we are overlooking, that we did not talk about, that you would like us to talk about, 614-350-3315 is the way to get that information to us. I, I promise, promise we'll go through all of them. And we'll pick out the best ones. And like while Michigan man Tom Brady is beating the Browns on Sunday mm. in his last appearance in Ohio, um, I will be perusing texts and we will be figuring those out. For now, we know it's a tough day, Ohio State fans. And uh, we're uh, we're honored that uh, you, you've listened to this to help process that loss. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Lee Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.